0: Welcome to The Conversation. I'm Kyle Russell.
1: Hi, I'm uh, Alter Mentality, or Courtney, whichever one you like.
0: Uh, can I call you... What do you prefer?
1: Uh, you can call me Courtney or Alter.
0: <laughs> okay. That, that works. Or both, or, so you don't have a preference. Okay. Just because you put me on a yeah. spot now. I'm like, I, I usually call <laughs> just, you Courtney. Just
1: call me Courtney. I, I, I usually call I, you I really Courtney. I don't mind either name, so. But, it, yeah. yeah pre- okay. Both, all right. But they're good. The, the name my mama gave me. I like it.
0: I'm terrible with names as it is, and then somebody throws in another one on top of that. I'm like, oh, God, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Ah!
1: Well, actually, actually, I also, uh go by Bramble these days, too. Because that's a new screen name that I had, so uh, (laughs) just to complicate things further, but
0: whatever. I mean, at least I'm used to saying Bramble. I say it at least once a day, so...
1: We love Brambles here in the Rare fandom.
0: Yeah, I'm going to call you Courtney, though. Um, Happy Halloween! Thank you for being here. Happy Halloween to everyone listening. Ah! It's scary! Ah! Yeah, but... We're going to be bringing you a lot of mirth and merriment today because we are discussing one of our absolute favorite games from rare in the Donkey Kong universe and the rare shared universe, however you want to parse it out, but also just generally one of my favorite video games of all time, which doesn't mean much coming from me because my favorite video games are all DKU games. So I'm, I'm a biased little bastard, but It's one of your favorite games, Courtney, and you have more varied taste than I do. So you're here to bring legitimacy to what I'm about to do.
1: Actually, um, if I'm correct, I don't know if this has changed, but I think you said before that this was like your fourth favorite game under DKC2, Sea of Thieves, and Banjo-Kazooie. That is
0: correct. It is my fourth favorite video game of all time. And I know people are rolling their eyes at me right now, but it's true, and I'm going to justify it to you on this episode, because it has been 20 years since Grabbed by the Ghoulies was released, and we're going to be sharing our shared love for this underrated masterpiece—yes, I said masterpiece—on this episode of The Conversation— Uh, Before we get into it, though, we are about a week into the new era of DK Vine, where I am doing DK Vine full time. It's been an adjustment for me. I, you know, don't really have a set schedule yet. I'm kind of making it up as I go along. I'm still figuring things out. I'm obviously not on my routine that I will be on week after week with all of my various streams I want to do, video projects. The last week was more about starting to get set up, but also kind of taking a breather. I don't think I took as much of a breather as I promised myself I would, because Mm -hmm. there were an inordinate amount of news stories to cover last week, and you can read about them at dkvine.com. But... More now than ever, I need to plug our Patreon because it is now not only the site's source of revenue. It is my only <laughs> source of revenue minus <laughs> things like, you know, Twitch money and, and other errant things like t-shirt sales. Um Trying to grow the Patreon. I, I've got improvements and tweaks coming to that very soon in all of the tiers. But if you like the content we do, if you want to support it in just a small way, like I'm not asking for you to give over half your paycheck to DK Vine, that's nonsense, but whatever you can afford. I was planning
1: to give you my firstborn child, but if at this rate, I guess I don't have to. (laughs) I I guess, you know, $5 a month, $10 a month is probably good enough.
0: Yeah, and I don't even know what I would do with a child. A child is more expense, so I I don't think I could... You could call
1: them like something Kong, like whatever... Adjective you want to use, whatever your favorite adjective is.
0: All of these various companies that will pay you if you name your child or change your name to their product. Yeah. <laughs> it's a shame um, that Nintendo I... or uh, my- Microsoft slash Rare never do this because, you know, I might take them up on that. If I could get a nice payday from this, then I would change my name to uh, Fiddlesworth and then. I wouldn't have to worry about asking our viewers for Patreon money. But here we are. I have to do that. DKVine.com forward slash Patreon. Check us out. We're also on Tee Public. That is also how we make some money. Not much, because Tee Public thinks that our shirts are generated by AI, and thus they slashed our profit margin. But all the same, we still get some some kickback from the every shirt sale we make and you know you also help spread the word of DK Vine by wearing it on your body. We've got some terrific shirts. We're gonna have more coming this Friday. So check that out at DKVine.com forward slash merchandise or just checking us out on T Public. But Courtney you Do-do-do. also do quite a bit online. I would like you to use this time to plug alter mentality your your own world on the internet
1: (laughs) sure so um yeah I've been around the internet for a long time and I can never decide what I want to focus on most I'm a game streamer I'm an artist I make a web comic I uh do all kinds of stuff and always evolving always changing trying to focus on different things but you know, I have a, a full, I'm like the opposite of you. I used to not have a full-time job and I did content full-time and, uh, then I have a job now, so I don't have as much time for silly internet video game things, but I try to do as much as I have time for. Um, so I stream on Twitch. Yesterday, I just did my annual Ghoulies stream before this, so it was a, it was a good Halloween party like I do every year. It was about a uh, seven and a half hours exactly. Um, and then, I also make art. So basically, on the website formerly known as Twitter, uh, I'm Alter Mentality. On Twitch, I'm Alter Mentality. On Blue Sky, which I can actually say its name here because uh, Elon can't chase me down and kill me on the conversation podcast.
0: He's not going to bring any sync onto PK yeah. Vine if <laughs> I have minutes. any say of it.
1: Uh, yeah, and I have a webcomic, which I mentioned, and it's been on a little hiatus this year just because life stuff, but. Uh, if you like rare, I think you will like the comic. It's thefourthcomic.com. We currently have a side story going on. It's about a lot of stuff that Ghoulies is also about, like zombie pirates, and uh, pr- pretty much just zombie pirates is the one thing they have in common. But there is that.
0: <laughs> you know, I don't like zombies, but I love zombie pirates. Uh, exactly. Like you that... know, a
1: lot of people say they don't like zombies, but the zombies in our comic are like conscious. They're they're like not mindless. Yeah, they they are just yeah. people who have dead bodies that they have to contend with, so it's a little yeah. different.
0: Yeah, I I think I'm fine with it there. I just yeah. I, I'm glad the whole zombie you don't like,
1: do you like the farting zombies and ghoulies? I do.
0: So so rare generally has this effect on me whenever they smuggle something from popular culture into one of their games. That makes it more palatable to me. That makes it more digestible. Whereas, you know, divorced from the context of Rare, I have a harder time getting into something. I, I need it to be brought to my level of understanding <laughs> before I, I have an appreciation for it. But generally, the zombie pirates are, are my favorite form uh, of that uh, famous monster Um and I'm so glad we're past the zombie fad that that was so prevalent in mm-hmm. the 2010s. I'm I'm so glad that that's kind of in the rearview mirror, or at least people are burned out on it for the time being. Um, just because, just do something different. All right. Anyway, uh, we we are talking about Grabbed by the Ghoulies on this episode. And a, really quick, I want to give a shout out to everyone in our live stream. We do st- uh, live stream most conversation recordings to our $5 and up patrons. And right now we've got Just Andre. Nice to see you again, Just Andre. We got Copbox. We got our friend Freezer, who, who's in there for most of these these days. Hello, everyone. Freezer, I, will-
1: I thought about you when i was streaming ghoulies because of the famous freezer
0: freezer Freezer. did you
1: name yourself after did you name yourself after the freezer from grabbed by the ghoulies
0: i don't think so everyone's
1: favorite room (laughs) she
0: says she got into ghoulies because of dk vine so i i think that that wouldn't be the case but yes i was watching the idaho crew stream ghoulies because they have also been playing ghoulies Uh, on their Tuesday night streams on our Twitch channel. And every time they entered the freezer, I would, of course, think about freezer now because I've just intertwined that name, that word with that name. So, yes. Hello, everyone. (laughs) All right. Well, it was October of 2003. Now, this is weird because I wrote this introduction before Matthew Perry died. Both TV's friends... NTV's TV's were entering their then-final seasons. Uh, Where is the Love by the Black Eyed Peas was tearing up the music charts. There were only two Fast and the Furious movies at the time, and Vin Diesel was only in one of them. Howard Dean Mania was sweeping the United States. We thought he was going to be the next president. And as Halloween approached, a low-key historical event would occur in the world of video games. Rare's very first game on the original Xbox and the Xbox platform came out on October 21st, 2003, which the irony that that would later be determined to be Donkey Kong's in-universe birth date, October 21st, uh, is not lost on me because... Happy birthday, Donkey Kong. Your home studio is now owned by the competition, leading you to drift from studio to studio over the next 20 years. Grabbed by the Ghoulies. Now, Grabbed by the Ghoulies is a game that we talk about quite a bit here at DK Vine that you, of course, Courtney, obsess over as well. But not a lot of people... Give Grab by the Ghoulies its due. The time of day it so deserves. We did a spotlight on Grab by the Ghoulies way back in the dumpster fire first season of the conversation. This was in accordance with Grab by the Ghoulies' then 10th anniversary. So it's been a while since we've had a dedicated episode to Grab by the Ghoulies. It still comes up. In the conversation of the conversation quite a bit. But we we haven't really sat back and given the spotlight, if you will, not a spotlight episode, but just the generalized spotlight to grab by the ghoulies in so long and, and it's well overdue. So this episode We'll not be going into the ins and outs of every minute detail of Grab by the Ghoulies. We're going to be hitting on points we didn't hit on back in that early day episode. But this is more going to be about why we appreciate Grab by the Ghoulies so much. Why it still has a sizable impact in the lives of the true Grab by the Ghoulies believers. And also how it's developed more of a fandom in recent years. Than it it did in that first decade it was around. So, first off, we should explain to people who may not be familiar with the origins of Grab by the Ghoulies exactly who was responsible for the game. Obviously, Rare, but who at Rare was behind it? Well, its creative team was mostly comprised of the famous Greg Males chris Sutherland team that shepherded the first two Donkey Kong Country games, as well as Banjo-Kazooie and Banjo-Tooie. This was the fifth game in that lineage, and the game that they started to work on after Banjo-Tooie. They actually started development for it on the Nintendo GameCube. And that's one of the unlockables in Grab by the So You can see some of the... um Footage, I guess, of it from the GameCube. Although, of course, they don't specify that it was on the GameCube. But in my opinion, grab the
1: the the Dolphin.
0: Oh yes, the good old Dolphin. The Dolphin, right, right. Um, so, in my opinion, Grab by the Ghoulies feels like just the natural fifth game in that chronology from that specific team at Rare. Because in many ways, it's Banjo 2 point e in my opinion. Not, not in just, you know, the, the gameplay. It's not just here's more Banjo Kazooie, but with human protagonists. It plays completely differently than Banjo Kazooie games, but just in the, um, I, I guess the attitude, the presentation, the humor, it, it very much feels like it's coming from that group of creators. It, 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 if you are a fan of those four games that I mentioned, you should have an entry point into Grab by the Ghoulies because so much of it will feel tonally familiar to you.
1: I do want to um, say that one thing I, I really love about, you know, the people who worked on this game is... How much they had fun making it, and that they still talk about it to this day. Like uh, Greg mails on Twitter, his his handle is just Ghouly Boy, and like they bring it up all the time, affectionately, like mm-hmm. self deprecating with how much of a commercial failure it was, but like they they still look back on it fondly. The development of this game, I think. I don't think there's another rare game I know of except for maybe Sea of Thieves just because it's been such a long, constant development where I've seen them like display so much obvious fun for how much they enjoyed working on it and like talking about it with such an affectionate manner. And I don't it just I think you can really tell when you play it that they were just goofing off and having the time of their lives making this game. It's it's really great.
0: Yeah, obviously, I I don't. No, I wasn't there, but I get the sense that Grab by the Ghoulies was a nice cool down for them after making banjo games for something close to half a decade, and then before that, making Donkey Kong games. I, I feel like it, it was kind of them just feeling like the pressure was off of them because they had like blockbuster after blockbuster. You know, after the whole strife of Project Dream and trying to find a direction for that and then ultimately just kind of resorting to Banjo-Kazooie because Dream wasn't working and the Conquer team was running circles around them and they're like, well, screw it, we'll do a 3D platformer too. And then turning out one of the best 3D platformers ever made and then following that up with a sequel that in many ways uh, was more ambitious and, and found a following of its own. I, I think "Grab by the Ghoulies" was them just saying, you know what, we're just gonna make a game, and we're not really gonna concern ourselves with, you know, changing the world with it. You know, we we don't have to have some amazing new technology. We don't need to, you know, do something with um a genre that's still kind of finding its footing. We're just going to make the game we want to make, and I think we've earned it. I think we proved ourselves, and uh, you can deal with it. Now, of course, thinking it was going to be for the GameCube, they probably thought they were going to have that built-in audience that was there on the Super Nintendo on the N64. Uh, They they probably didn't realize this was going to be the studio's debut game on an entirely different console platform with an entirely different built-in audience. Had they known that, that might have put a little bit more high-pressure stakes on the initial development yeah. of it. But you, you do get the sense that they had a blast making this that was relatively drama-free, that it was fun for them, that they were just brimming with ideas and they were able to get so much in there. So, yeah, I really do enjoy seeing how much the creators are still proud of Grabbed by the Ghoulies, despite despite all of the strife and critical backlash and audience indifference to it and it's been one of my great joys of working for DK Vine and getting to meet so many of these creators in person is just telling them to their face how much I love Grabbed by the Ghoulies because you could tell them all you want how much you love Donkey Kong Country 2 or Banjo-Kazooie and they've heard it but you tell them they like, mm-hmm. you, they like you like grab by the ghoulies and then they kind of light up a little bit and they're like, oh, oh yeah? And it's and like, okay, yeah, all right.
1: It's like, you're not pulling my leg, really? Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Need it.
0: And, and still, even, even then, they're all so bashful, especially this team in particular. Like, Greg Males is the most bashful, unassuming man alive. Like, a brilliant game designer, right? Just, I, 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 there's never been a game designer whose ideas match up with what I want from games as much as Greg Males. I, I, I think he's a genius, but you can't tell him he's a genius because he refuses to hear it because he's so humble and he's just, he's, he's just making what he wants to make, what he thinks works, and You know, he can't make eye contact with you when you're giving him praise, so you quickly pull back and and try to find a new way to get through to him. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it's it's just... It's so great to see how proud they are of the game and that they know they made something special, even if it came at sort of the height of the rare backlash of that generational turnover that the Geek Critique and I always talk about, where we're... Rare just fell out of the zeitgeist for all of the reasons we've talked about, you know, the, the buyout and just tastes were changing. And it was just, it was just the perfect storm of all of this happening at once and grabbed by the ghoulies kind of became the poster child of all of that. But for those of us who still believed in rare, who still believed in these creators, who still stuck by them, who got an Xbox just on the sole promise of rare, uh, grab by the Ghoulies was a, a wonderful treat, and I, I remember the backlash, and I remember first playing it and thinking, "What the hell are they talking about? This is great!" Because I, I braced myself, because you know I, I had heard the the whispers that oh, the grab by the Ghoulies is, as the kids would say today, a mid game, and I remember just brimming with, with a lo- wide smile on my face playing the demo and and just thinking yeah this, this, this is terrific
1: do you want to give your history with the game because um did you play it like pretty much when it was brand new or so because uh, i i have a pretty different history than you i believe
0: yeah i, I was an early adopter of Grab by the ghoulies i i got it for the xbox when it when it when it came out actually uh our, our former staffer Andre, not to be confused with just Andre in the chat, uh Andre Summers who was one of the original four writers for DK by. He got a press copy for it because uh he was he was writing for some I think newspaper at the time and he got a press copy of Grab by the Ghoulies an extra press copy and he just mailed it to me. So shamefully I did not purchase Grab by the Ghoulies. Andre sent me his copy. His, his press copy, which was the same as you know the the commercial retail copy, like it's not any different. But I, I got it October two thousand three. I actually also got the demo of Grab by the Ghoulies, which was included in the official Xbox magazine disc back when you know you got the demo. You got you got the like disc with every issue of the Xbox magazine. It came with a disc full of demos and trailers. So that's what I played first was the demo. And I thought it was just utterly fantastic. And, and I like it, the, the demo was far more challenging than the actual game. I think that it was still a little imbalanced, and specifically the music room was just the most grueling experience on the demo like, utterly brutal. But I felt so accomplished when I beat the demo. And yeah, I immediately dove into the full game then. But it's a game that I kept coming back to. I remember, like, I, th- I think a year later, maybe two years later, I got into Grab by the Ghoulies again, and-, and I just picked it back up, and that's where I really started de- noticing the nuance of it. Because I-, I played through it once in 2003. 2004 to 2005, I was going through a deeper DKU kick at the time, mostly because, like, we were kind of relaunching the site at the time with a new aesthetic, and this is when we got all of this DKU news, like all the Donkey Kong games that were in development post-buyout were starting to get announced or released. We had Conquer Live and Reloaded coming out, so I was just like, you know what? Let me play Grab by the Ghoulies again, and that's where it really hit me how much I loved it, and how much it was resonating with me. So... From there, you know, I I would, like, pick it back up every so often. But specifically when I came back to DK Vine in 2010 full-time, not to be confused with, like, doing it as my full-time job, but just doing it, you know, like, permanently then as an editor-in-chief, then I I really realized how much of a mark Grab by the Ghoulies left on me. And then when Rare Replay came out in 2015... That was the game I think I played the most on Rare Replay. Was Grab by the Ghoulies just just because you got that new like um, uprezed version of the game in Rare Replay, and it was just gorgeous. It it, it was beautiful, and I, I was so excited to just be able to just easily pull up Grab by the Ghoulies in this compilation, and it was also fun to see other people discover it at the time.
1: Yeah, so if you want, I can go into my history, if you don't mind. Cool. Okay, so when this game came out, I was in seventh grade, and I was really, really bummed and sad about Rare no longer being with Nintendo, because I knew that I was not going to be able to get an Xbox anytime soon, because I didn't have any money of my own at the time. I mean, a little bit from, like, doing chores and whatnot, but nowhere near enough to afford a game console. Um... So I basically had a, I had a GameCube and I had a PS2 that I inherited uh, because unfortunately my, my uncle was killed in a car crash um, and I got his PS2. Oh, so I hell. had those two things and I did not have a GameCube. I mean, I did not have an Xbox and I was never going to get an Xbox because it was also a time when my parents uh thinking that I was getting older as a young woman should not be playing so many video games anymore so they weren't going to buy me one um the the only chance I would have to get an Xbox was if my little brother decided he wa- really wanted to get into Halo or something which he didn't end up being that kind of person so uh yeah I had no chance in my immediate future to get an Xbox so I saw this game I saw it come out. I heard people talk about it. I saw the arguments online about this game is actually good. No, this game sucks ass. It's terrible. Um, but I couldn't judge for myself because, you know, I the people I knew who did have an Xbox, again, they were probably just having it for like Halo or something. And n- none of my little middle school friends had grabbed by the Ghoulies, so I never got a chance to play it. And, you know, years passed and finally Rare Replay came out and... I do want to say that I got an Xbox 360, um, because by that time I did have a summer job and I had enough money of my own. So I got a 360 so I could play nuts and bolts and a few other things, but mostly nuts and bolts. Um, and then I got an Xbox One. Uh, so, so when the Xbox One was pretty new, I was like fresh out of college basically and had my first like real job and I felt like I was rolling in the dough, so. <laughs> when Rare Replay came out, I was like, yes, I'm going to get an Xbox One, and I'm going to get Rare Replay, and I'm going to finally play Grabbed by the Ghoulies, among other things. And uh, I did, and that was back in 2015. And I think Ghoulies was the first thing I played on it. Um, I might have played, actually, I might have played Conquer first, because I'd never played Bad Fur Day either, and then I played Ghoulies. But at any rate, I ended up not liking Bad Fur Day very much. This is something that people might know about me, but I am not a Conquer fan. But Ghoulies, I fell head over heels in love with. It just, I was like, where have you been all my life? I, I was so sad that I had never gotten to play this game when I was younger. Um, but I have made up for it in the years since because I played it around Halloween times, maybe a little sooner, maybe around September or so for the first time. And then ever since then, I've played it again every single year in October. So this... Past year was my eighth year streaming it, and my uh, ninth year playing it was yesterday.
0: You know what I love about Grab by the Ghoulies is, is it's a it, it's not Halloween themed, but it, it's it's got themes appropriate for Halloween, and it actually came out in October. You know, contrasting all of these horror movies which come out in the middle of the summer or or like even like the family friendly like spooky movies like Disney's Haunted Mansion mm-hmm. remake or reboot that came out this summer and like why is it out in the summer who is in the mood to watch this in the summer or or like 3 months before halloween like release them in october just i i know you want them available for streaming in october but I, I don't know i i appreciate that ghoulies came out on october 21st i appreciate that yeah
1: <laughs> 10 days before halloween
0: yeah which is just enough time to i mean it's, it's more than enough time to beat it but even if you're doing it slow i think i think it's more than enough time to beat it if you you know have the time to play video games but a lot of people ask so we we should address this close to the you know front of the show What makes this game DKU? Because people understand notionally why something like Banjo-Kazooie or Conker is classified as DKU. Because, of course, Banjo and Conker's first appearances were in Diddy Kong Racing. So you can view them as spinoffs. But Grab by the Ghoulies, just if, if you know nothing about it, from the outside looking in... What what is the connection? Somebody popped into the Idaho crew chat when they were playing Ghoulies the other week and they said, "So how's this game connected to Donkey Kong?" because they didn't understand why DK Vine was was uh spotlighting it. And to answer that, uh, Grabby the Ghoulies was the first game in it what turned out to be a surprisingly long lineage of games that would feature an appearance A small little cameo appearance, kind of an easter egg, of the character of Royston the Goldfish. Banjo's Goldfish from the Banjo-Kazooie series. So, this was the first game to utilize that. And it was just in there because Grab by the Ghoulies is full of little easter eggs and references to the Shared Rare universe. There are so many, and we'll get into all of that here in just a minute, but they actually put the living, breathing Royston in a fishbowl in the classroom or the schoolroom of Goolhaven Hall. And it's like, I remember on the DK Vine Forum at the time there there was like questions like, do you, do you think grab by the ghoulies will be DKU? And at the time we were like, probably not. But somebody, I it might have been Andre. Who was the first one to spot this goldfish? Uh, because Andre had he, he had like multiple copies of the game. He somehow got two. That's how I got mine. But he he he, he was like, I, I think Royston is in the game, and and this kind of started the trend. It was an inadvertent trend. They didn't ever plan for this to be the case, but this was the trend of Royston being a jokey. Easter egg in rare or rare related games because Royston would go on to appear in a blatant retcon, but it was still confirmed to be him, all nonetheless, in Viva Pinata, in Connect Sports season two, and of course, there's an unnamed goldfish in Ukulele, which is heavily implied to be Royston. They just can't come out and say, "Oh, this is the goldfish from Banjo Kazooie," given that it's technically a Splinter Studio at this point. Mm-hmm. But and then there, there's uh, other games like Clive and Wrench that also utilize the the goldfish tapping on the bowl. So the the whole idea of Royston making a game DKU started a completely separate branch of DKU classification, which we call fish and chaps. Which is also in reference to Mr. Pants, but basically it's the spin off of a spin off. The, um, they're all derived from Banjo Kazooie, more or less, but basically these games that don't really take a, a character so much and spin them out into their own property, but it's implied to take place in the same universe and all. Yeah. Here's Royston to confirm that. So it's, it's the most tangential kind of spinoff that, that you could ever hope for, but there's so much in grab by the ghoulies that also just kind of confirms that this takes place in the world of rare. Um, There are like both implicit and explicit references to banjo kazooie. Mr. Pants, and this is before It's Mr. Pants was even out, Saber Wolf, and even Donkey Kong. Like, those are the four, I I think, the major four that are all have, like, in-universe references to those properties throughout Ghoulhaven Hall. There's also references to some older Ultimate Play the Game titles, as well as like jokey things like Conquer's Bad Fur Day and Killer Instinct on like Xbox game cases that you can find in the game room. But yeah, th- those four are the ones that are referenced as actual like, th- the these are characters in this world. These are like interactions like Baron von Gul has had with-, with some of these characters off screen. Uh photos of Mr. Pants appear in a few spots in the mansion, pinned to the corkboard in, in the kitchen, I believe, or the or the scullery, maybe. Um Saberwolf has two major references, and keep in mind that the development of Grab by the Ghoulies paralleled the development of Saberwolf for the Game Boy Advance. So Saberwolf for the Game Boy Advance, I believe, was already in the can by this point. And it was just a matter of like finalizing a way to release it, and they eventually found that with the THQ deal. But uh, Saberwolf got two major references, one of which wouldn't be obvious until Sabrewolf was actually released for the Game Boy Advance the following year, if it's indeed supposed to be a reference at all. but uh in Sabrewolf GBA, I don't know how familiar you are with Sabrewolf Courtney.
1: Uh, not much. It's one of those all things right. I still need to get around to.
0: All right. Well, this is basically the succinct explanation of this. So on the, I think, file select screen of Saberwolf GBA, Saber Man has an elephant foot, a severed elephant foot that he uses as an umbrella stand, which is not cool, Saber Man. It's <laughs> not cool Gosh, Saber Man. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think the implication is that Saberman at one point was a big game hunter, and maybe he realized the error of his ways. He, he, he mellowed out with age, but at one point he, he did shoot magnificent animals like the elephant, and he maybe, he used... maybe
1: he just got it secondhand. He got the, you know, he got it as a Christmas present or something. He's like, "Oh, this is a little tacky, but I don't want to be rude, so maybe use the elephant stand."
0: I know when Saberman. I know when Saberman Stampede was in development, they they weren't going to have him actually murder the animals. Of course, he was going to use things like nets and ropes to wrangle them. But there's, you know, it, it, it's it's a dodgy thing having a a British man in a pith helmet come into the wilds and you know exploit natural resources. So. You know, that... maybe
1: he used to be a big game hunter, but then he went to the Isle of Hags and like met talking animals, and he was like, "Oh, now it's awkward. I can't, I can't do this anymore."
0: I, I like to think he had a character growth, uh, and he 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 did have that history because he is the archetype of that like big game hunter. But he then he eventually realized the just ugliness inherent of shooting animals, and you know. Driving them to the point of extinction. So, Saberman has this uh, elephant umbrella stand foot, all the same, and it also appears in Ghoulhaven Hall. I mean, it's virtually identical. It's it's something Cooper can use as a weapon, I believe. But that that's that's the Mamie reference. Mamie Rare was just really into elephant foot at the time. the The big one is the. Saberwolf himself appears in the game as an animal skin rug. Now, Saber Wolf is this immortal beast of the jungle. Like, you, you can kill him, but he's not actually dead. He will resurrect. He will regenerate. He's like Jason Voorhees in the later Friday the Thirteenth movies. He just he just keeps coming back. There there's no actual killing him because of course Cranky also had the severed head of Saber Wolf in his cabin in the Game Boy Advance remake of Donkey Kong Country, and in there the severed head was blinking. So it, it implies that Cranky Kong has hunted the Saber Wolf. It implies that Baron Von Gul has hunted the saber wolf. The saber wolf will always come back.
1: I'm just imagining now that Cranky, like, Cranky's uh, cane is just actually, like, a gun. Like, (laughs) you know know how people have, like, knife canes or whatever, but Cranky has a gun cane that he uses to shoot the saber wolf.
0: Or, or umbrella knives, or umbrella guns. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I like to think Cranky just beat him to death with his cane, and um, then severed his head and mounted it in the cabin. But the saber eventually regenerated and escaped Cranky's cabin and was was set loose upon the rare archipelago again. And then Baron von Gul presumably shot him and skinned him and brought him back to Gulhaven Hall. But it's just but a temporary setback for the saber well yeah that, so that, Saber that's that's a... a
1: little like Dracula to bring this back to Halloween. Yeah. You know, like you can never really kill him. People people are always working to revive him.
0: So had we had the foresight then that that um like by by Saberman being recontextualized and and remodeled in Banjo-Tooie, that could also make Saberman DKU, we would have applied the same logic to the Saberwolf head in Cranky's cabin cuz that's the first released appearance of the Saberwolf head in that design at the very least um so so Saberwolf could have made the game DKU as well we say it's Royston but i i guess this is an appearance of Saberwolf as well as his, as he was designed in DKC GBA as he would be designed in Saber Wolf GBA, which was technically finished first, but whatever. Anyway, anyway, there's also slight nods to Donkey Kong, surprisingly, given that this is the first Xbox game for Rare. But uh, they 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 always bring find a way to bring up Donkey Kong in subtle ways in, in a lot of these titles. I mean, people are surprised when I explain to them that... No, Donkey Kong's been referenced in Sea of Thieves numerous times. And they don't really believe me. And I lay it out for them and they still don't believe me. Even though I, like, laid it out for them. They're they're still like, nah, it's not a real reference to Donkey Kong. I'm like, no, but it is! It is! Rare's referencing Donkey <laughs> Kong! It's fine. Um, this This reference is... I mean, I think anybody who sees it will think of this. And I think that was the intention. I think this is probably a byproduct of when it was on the GameCube. But you've got the dead swordfish in the game. Uh, One is mounted in the boathouse. You'll find uh, others in the freezer where they keep a lot of um, animal carcasses that are going to be served as food. But it's a dead swordfish. It looks pretty close, nearly identical, minor variations, to the Swordfish from the DK Isles. It looks like in Guard, is what I'm saying. And, you know, I think this would have been probably more explicit had the game actually been released on the GameCube. And I'm sure that there would have been a lot more Donkey Kong references throughout Ghoulhaven Hall, similar to how Banjo-Kazooie got the bulk of the references in the game, but I think it would have been a more healthy mix. Uh, I, I don't know if, if Nintendo would have published grab of the Ghoulies or if it would have been published by Rare. There's no way of really knowing, but I, I think all the same, we would have gotten some Kong references sprinkled throughout.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, I'm sure Cranky would have been in a portrait or two uh, in Ghoulhaven Hall. Maybe, maybe a statue here or there. I don't know, but... Yeah, um, th- those are the, the major references. And like I said, I'm not going to go through all the Banjo-Kazooie references because there are so many. There are so many. Th- I would say nearly every room, not, not, not every room, but it feels like nearly every room has some sort of reference or nod or acknowledgement of a Rare game.
1: I do think it's pretty notable that, uh, they reference stop and swap directly. Also in the schoolroom, the same room with Royston in it, there's like a whiteboard that has yeah. steps for like getting the stop and swap eggs on them. And <laughs> there's, there's also a, I imagine this was in the original and wasn't just added for like the up version on Rare Replay, but there is a, there's a few portraits of Devil Bottles who was, I don't think ever officially like revealed in anything. Just kind of discovered via hacking into Banjo Tooie.
0: There, there are. Uh, so yeah, the schoolroom, as you said, to the right of Royston, on the the board, there is this like, like a math equation, but it's how to unlock stop and swap, and it's fake. It, it it's it's all just made up based on the rumors around banjo kazooie around the time it came out but it's funny it's funny that they were not letting it go and they were continuing to egg us on no pun intended with just nonsense about stop and swap which is something they would continue for several years to come banjo pilot nuts and bolts i mean i know nuts and bolts would utilize a form of stop and swap with the XBLA versions of Kazooie and Tui. But yeah, they 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 really enjoyed um, having fun at our expense with the failure of Stop and Swap and how much fans still wanted to know more information. And yeah, Devil Bottles. I don't know if the image of Devil Bottles... I, I think the image of Devil Bottles was released on the Rareware website back in the day. Um, mm-hmm. But because we we have it... I, I think we we we've seen it before. We we have it on DK Vine, but yeah, just the tactic acknowledgement of devil bottles at all in the game itself is is a big deal. So yeah, there, there's there's uh, plenty of stuff to have fun with if you're a rare fan. There's even one one of the portraits in the game is of the scrapped werewolf baddie who didn't get utilized in the final game. But I swear that the werewolf is partially based on the appearance of Fox McCloud in star Fox adventures even has the green pants that, that Fox (laughs) has in uh, SFA. So that's not a confirmed reference, but I think it's a subtle nod to a, a, a rare game that was, Basically a contemporary of Grab by the Ghoulies. It feels like a generation apart just because Star Fox Adventures was the last GameCube well, the last Nintendo console release from Rare, the only GameCube game they released, and Grab by the Ghoulies was the first Xbox game. They were only separated by thirteen months, but it, it just feels like a world apart. But yeah. So I, I I was wondering if you would like to explain what the story of Grab by the Ghoulies is for those who are unaware. I mean, it's it's not uh, an award winning story. It's not anything that they'll (laughs) ever make an HBO series out of, but
1: they should, though.
0: They should. I agree. I'd like to see them try it. I agree. I think this would be a fun movie, Grab by the Ghoulies. I I think Mm -hmm. there's money being left on the table. I think there there is. A lot you could be doing with this property, but first you have to make people aware of the property and maybe turn it into a movie and just find an audience that way. But yeah. what is the story of Grab by the Ghouls? I right. want to hear you explain it, and I'll chip in if I have okay. any insight.
1: Yeah, I'm just going to keep the story to what is like revealed in the game, because... There's like additional backstory stuff you can piece together if you well, look at the the dev comments and everything, but I'm just going to keep it we'll, for now. Too, we'll,
0: we'll get into the, the game deeper lore. we'll get into the deeper lore later.
1: Yeah. Okay. So basically, uh, you have these two young people, and it's a little vague how old they are. I was going to ask you what you thought. Like, I I want to say that they're in like college, maybe. You know, maybe they're like. Twenty or so that's I, that's kind of the vibe I get what do you I, think
0: I think late teens early twenties i I don't think they're any yeah. older than twenty one but they're definitely older than seventeen i I think they're old enough to be backpacking through the countryside without parental supervision
1: yeah they're they're adults, young adults, um so anyway, we got these two their names are Cooper and Amber, and they are boyfriend and girlfriend, although sometimes you wouldn't really know it but anyway um they're
0: a bad so, so they are,
1: couple <laughs> they they're maybe hitting a little rough patch but anyway so so amber the girl is carrying all of the backpacking stuff she's got like this huge backpack on and she's clearly struggling and uh cooper the dude is he's got this map and he's just kind of like leading them around and so they're backpacking through the english countryside and they get lost you know, it's it's getting dark, a storm is settling in, the classic setup, and they're like, well, we need to go find a place to shelter. And so they see, of course, wh- what else but a creepy-looking haunted mansion. And, uh, you know, they're like, well, let's, let's go in here and see if we can just kind of ride it out or, or call for some help or something. And um, as they are, I, I believe... That as they are like looking at it, Cooper says something like, uh, "This this looks creepy. I bet some like creepy weirdo lives here." And then, uh, true to form, a man is running around in his bedroom and he is wearing like banjo kazooie pajamas and like of aviators goggles and helmet, and he's just running around making plane noises, going stuff like that. Um, And then he looks out the window and he's like, what? I can't believe they would call me a creepy weirdo because he can somehow hear them all the way across the yard. His hearing is really good. Um, And so he's like, to prove that I'm not a fucking creepy weirdo, I'm going to kidnap them and make them stay in my mansion. (laughs) So he sends out some some ghoulies, which um, I believe are these kind of like weird ghost werewolves that never appear elsewhere. But he basically sends them out to grab and kidnap Amber and uh bring her into the house and Cooper is like what <laughs> don't do that so he runs in after her um when he gets into the house Amber is nowhere to be seen but uh he meets the butler whose name is Crivens Crivens or Crivens is Crivens? Crivens okay that's yeah. that's what Cri- i've been Crivens saying Crivens is a good right.
0: butler name
1: It really is um so the butler Crivens is there And he sort of tells them what's going on, like, uh, this house is infested with ghoulies and there's all different kinds of them. And here's sort of the rules of how you can interact with the house, because the house of Ghoulhaven Hall is very like, in classic rare fashion, the characters are sort of aware of the fact that it's a game or that it it is set up in a game-like manner, um, not not a manner pun that wasn't supposed to be a a pun but you know um <laughs> like they they know that each room has its different rules and i don't know how they're aware of this but they they sort of just are um, so so criven sort of tells cooper like you know you can use furniture to fight off the ghoulies but it's going to break eventually you know in each room you're going to have to meet a different set of demands that the baron has set for you etc um and then Cooper just kind of goes from there. As he goes throughout the house, he encounters Amber again, but through a series of Cooper's own carelessness and dumbassery, um, Amber sort of keeps getting away from him, and eventually uh, she is transformed into a ghoulie herself because of the evil scientist who lives in the uh, Ghoulhaven Hall. His name is Dr. Crackpot. Um, So she gets turned into a ghoulie, and then Cooper also meets a bunch of the other residents of the house. So the house has a bunch of servants that work there. Crivens that we already mentioned. There's also Fiddlesworth, who is the groundskeeper. He is sort of the character that people remember from this game because he is the weird innuendo character. He's oh, just this yeah. big, burly, bearded man um, who's always saying very uncomfortable things like, uh, grab my goats or... Crush my crop. I don't know what that one's supposed to mean. Or uh I guess he's into that. Um
0: so can we just say our favorite fiddlesworths fiddlesism fiddle fiddlisms now? Like because I I feel like Fiddlesworth anybody who plays the game Fiddlesworth leaves the strongest impression because he every conversation with him starts with him shouting some Gentle Farmyard Innuendo. Some are far more um over the top, but it'll say something like peel my potatoes, which is is actually sexual innuendo, like in prison. Uh, and then you've got things like uh pluck my pickle, which you know, come on. Uh th- there's uh furrow my field, which yeah uh but but he's also just generally filthy and horny he's He's spying on the the vampires the the buxom vampire ladies at one point and and just kind of wondering if they like Harry backs and you know it's all presented rather innocently, but he he does leave the the most comedic impression yeah
1: yeah I don't know if I have a favorite it's just that like i I think like the the less sense it makes the funnier it is to me mm-hmm. like grab my goat just sounds like a you know an innuendo that that would make sense but sometimes he says something that just doesn't sound like an innuendo at all but I try to like read it as one anyway and <laughs> it's it's funnier that way it's like what the heck is he talking about what kind of depraved sex act
0: is he referencing here right especially because he's the groundskeeper and he's always just you know in the in the farmlands and just or the farmyard and and with the like animals and livestock there is just this sense that he is kind of isolated and he's kind of been left to his own devices for far too long he like he has his own cottage on the grounds, but he's kind of separate from the the rest of the the staff, and and therefore he's kind of sort sort of um gone round the bend as far as his taste go and is is his social graces.
1: I uh, Andre. Says in the chat, um, watching the playthrough yesterday, I immediately got the wrong idea when Babs told Cooper that someone was leaving sticky puddles across the mansion. Well, that, that's I never a, thought of it that way. That's another <laughs>
0: aspect of Fiddlesworth is he has an unseen—is it nephew?
1: Uh, yes, I yes. think whose name is Little Willie.
0: Little Willie and Little Willie owns the squirt gun that uh, Cooper borrows from time to time. So it's just—it's just laden with. Almost Uendos, right? It just walks up to the line where it lets your mind fill in the bank blanks. Like a lot of times it depends on how depraved your mind is. And and you're like, oh, little Willie, squirt gun, sticky puddles. Well, that's the soda gun, but you know what I mean. Like mm-hmm. you your your yeah. brain does the rest of the work for you. Like at this point, if you're a rare fan and you you weathered banjo Tooy. You, and not to mention Conker's Bad Fur Day, but that wasn't so much innuendo. It was just straight up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it wasn't It was it wasn't hiding anything. With, with Banjo-Tooie, there was a lot of wink-wink, non nah, non nah, nudge-nudge, tee-hee, can't believe we're getting away with this. And, and Ghoulies was more of the same, but I feel like Ghoulies al- almost kind of pulled back a little bit and just let you and your own brain do the rest of the work because you were just... Ready to like a- you are anticipating anything that they're going to throw at you, so
1: so that's Fiddlesworth. Yeah. Um, there's also Ma Soupswill, who is the cook. Um, she is pretty important to the game because she actually makes these soups, and you find these soups around the um mansion throughout the entire game, and uh. So the thing about Ma's soups well is sometimes she accidentally messes her soup or her potion up as we see during the course of the story, so sometimes there's a bad one, like there's some of these things that aren't actually power ups but they are like powered downs so they can reverse your controls or um lower your health temporarily and such things. but most of them are good, and so these soups can do anything from give you more health to uh freeze all your enemies in place, they can speed you up they can make these little miniature coopers come out, who go and attack things for you. So the, there's like a ton of different things and they um, are really, I think what the game is sort of based around is like finding these and, and using them to your favor, especially in the later games when just, or the later levels were just punching things and attacking them with furniture just isn't really going to cut it anymore.
0: Yeah. And, and two, two things about the soups really quick. One,
1: mm-hmm.
0: the one that, that, Creates a miniature version of Cooper. it's called Miniature Cooper, I believe, but it was clearly mm-hmm. supposed to be called mini cooper and and yeah, they they walked they that him. back because they didn't want to get sued, but you know that's what they were doing <laughs> with that uh two, I love the nonsense logic of super soups that that the power ups in the game have this in universe rationale. But it's something as stupid as oh, the cook has left her cans of soup around, and they're augmented soups that have magical abilities, or or what feels like magic, maybe just super culinary science. But it's so dumb. But at the but I love I love when something is so flagrantly stupid, but there is logic to it there is this reason for it existing and that is what i adore about rare but specifically this team from rare again it's the greg males design logic is you can't just have a video gamey reason because it's a video game you need to have a reason why it exists and and super soup is dumb as hell but i adore it
1: yeah and we were actually talking about yesterday that like um, you know, when, when they make the potion for Amber, instead of her drinking it, uh, Cooper famously kind of just uh really splatters it on her. Yeah, um, but, yeah. So, like, does Cooper drink the soups or does he also just pour them on himself? Like, do you need to drink them or does he just kind of dump them on his head?
0: I mean, have you ever tried to chug soup? It doesn't work. You can't do it.
1: Yeah, it's, it's not even, like, warm or anything. It's just room temperature has been sitting out there. It's not like
0: Gatorade. Yeah, it's not, I would, I would yeah. just pour it on me. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it just makes skin contact. And, and honestly, in a high-pressure fight with zombie pirates, you're not going to be chugging a whole can of soup. It's mm-hmm. not going to work. So I think, I think it's just skin contact is enough. And, and maybe if you actually consume the soup, it would have a long... A longer effect, and, and the problem is Cooper's just splashing it on himself. And so, maybe if he actually drank it, there would be uh, a mini Cooper that would be around for three to four hours versus the what, 20 to 30 seconds it, it actually exists.
1: Okay, so that's Moss Soup's and I think there's two well, there's a few other characters. Well, yeah, okay, so so
0: so well, with Moss Soup's you also have to mention Mr. Ribs the yes. the skeleton ghoulie who has a heart of gold if he actually had a heart. And and he is one of the few ghoulies well, the only ghoulie presented in the game that is actually like on the side of I guess the forces of good. I mean, I don't think a lot of the ghoulies are evil. They're just living in the mansion because they were created by Dr. Crackpot. But you know, they, they obviously have their own motives and some of them, you know, have that allegiance to Dr. Crackpot, but Mr. Ribs has befriended Moss soups. will and has, uh, ethics has empathy for, I, I, I guess, um, people and, and things that aren't just being an abhorrent little monster. And so, uh, Mr. Ribs is one of the purest characters in all of Rare. He, he is a delightful... He's
1: so sweet, and he wants to be a hero really badly at the end of the game. That really comes into play, that he calls himself a hero, and he's really happy to be helping out Cooper. So, yeah, he's he's the chef's assistant, and he's got a little, like, chef's hat, and he's really adorable.
0: Yes, he, he is. He is. He's, he's a cute little skeleton. He even found a way to make the design of the ghoulie skeletons... More cutesified. He kind of reminds me of Mumbo Jumbo starting a Banjo 2e going forward. Just kind of finding a way to make a skull cute, but they did it. And mm-hmm. yeah, Mr. Ribs is terrific. I, I really feel like Mr. Ribs should be in more games. And it's a shame that he isn't because I feel like just, just the concept alone, um, would have legs beyond this particular game.
1: All right. And then our next character is Babs Buffbrass, the maid, yeah. the character I am most likely to be able to cosplay someday. Uh, she's kind of just like a crotchety. She She's like perpetually in a bad mood because between the ghoulies and like the other residents of the mansion, they're always making a mess. And she is like the person who has to clean up this whole entire manor it's huge. And so she's just like always in a bad mood. Uh, she, her voice always sounds like, (laughs) and I'm like, that's mood. I feel that a lot of the time. Um, (laughs) but she, the she, um, I think she, she gives Cooper the, um, soda gun, but I can't remember why exactly, because she's also like complaining about it, making such a mess. But at the end of the game, she does sort of embrace giving it to him because she realizes how important it is.
0: Yeah. Um, but yeah, she... With with one note... There's not
1: a ton to say about her, but yeah. I, I do like her a lot as a character just because of how like put upon she seems constantly.
0: It's a good idea because the large conceit of the game is smashing up the mansion. So to have a character who is in direct contrast to that her whole reason for being there is to clean the ma- mansion and keep it pristine... And, uh, yeah, with one notable exception, which is a major spoiler in the game, which we will discuss at some point. Um, all, the, the entire staff is basically good hearted. They're, even though they work for Baron von Ghoul, even though they all knowingly reside in a haunted ass house that is just overflowing with monsters and ghosts, uh, they're, they're all just, decent people trying to get by and they all embrace and uh, eventually support Cooper and Amber in in their struggles throughout the night that Grab by the Ghoulies takes place in.
1: Yeah. And you could even say that like uh, Babs is the reason where like Cooper has to go back through the rooms he's already visited in quite a few times. Mm. So like, when he goes back through them, all of the stuff has been fixed and restored. So you could maybe say it was Babs doing that.
0: Yeah. She, she just very quickly. (laughs) She works fast. She works very fast (laughs) and she makes sure to put a bonus book to, to let everyone know she's been there. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. the like the, the, the staff of ghoulies they're they're just there primarily to move things along and to, Give Cooper the these weapons, or you know, whatever. Like they'll they'll show up in these little comic book style cutscenes. Which can I just say really quick because I don't know if they'll come up again. I love the way the story scenes in Grab by the Ghoulies are structured with this art style, and mm-hmm. like like it, it 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 looks like it's comic book panels, and it somehow keeps the game dynamic without having any like true cutscenes. Yeah. Like it I, works really well. Your your brain never really gets taken out by the fact that you don't see like these big elaborate cutscenes. It's all taking place with these comic book panels which are l- like loosely animated, but then they become just static um so I I, I I adore all of the artistic choices with "Grab by the Ghoulies. and I I adore the the cast as well. And of course, there's Baron Mongul, who is the the this aristocratic loon essentially. Like he's he's long ago lost touch with reality, as evidenced by the fact that he basically has almost regressed to the state of childhood, just l- like living in his banjo kazooie pajamas. And and having this plain fetish, like like the Red Baron, like he, he imagines himself the Red Baron, and he j- he just stays in his bedroom and like lords over the the mansion, o- over the the estate grounds, and makes all of these weird rules. And then there's Doctor Crackpot, who is like the 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 more put together of the antagonist, but. Um, he's just your stock mad scientist, right? Like, I, I don't have much to say about Dr. Crackpot except, at the very least, they have a explanation for why this mansion is so full of monsters.
1: Mm-hmm. The thing about Dr. Crackpot is he is, like, kind of built up as being a villain in his own right, but it is famously anticlimactic how Cooper ends up dealing with him because. He has this ray gun that can turn people into a ghoulie, which he used on Amber, but when he tries to use it on Cooper, he just does the classic, like, Looney Tunes, stick your finger in the gun and it backfires thing, which you wouldn't think that would work on, like, a ray gun instead of, like, a rifle or something, but it apparently does work and it backfires and just, yeah, that just takes out Dr. Crackpot just like that and he just sort of, like embarrassed shimmies away he's he's got the classic like god exploded on so he's all covered in soot thing, yeah. and he just is in his underwear now because his mechanical legs got all blown up
0: well one cooper should have had a really like gnarled fingernail after that like it, it, it transformed like just <laughs> yeah. the <tip> of his, <laughs> his finger, finger
1: got turned in.
0: <laughs> into a ghoulie right but but two i i really think they were like sort of just shoving crackpot aside to serve a role in the sequel more which of course we never got but you know i i don't think he's that important to the story he's he's more there as a plot mechanic and i i think he serves his role just fine but yeah. i want to talk about cooper and amber really quick because as far as rare antagonists go i like amber all right and I, I i I, th- I think amber's pretty cool cooper kind of sucks though right
1: yeah, Cooper is the, and I, I think a lot of the time when people do complain about this game or when they gave it a try and they didn't like it, especially back in the day when people were coming to Xbox for all, like, the, the cool kid games, like, I think Cooper was a turnoff for people because he is, like, such a fucking dork. Like, he is painfully corny, <laughs> like, I, I love him, but he is undoubtedly, like, cringe (laughs) he's he's such a goofball he's trying to like drop one-liners sometimes but i mean the game is very self-aware about this too it's not like the game thinks he's cool and is trying to pretend he's cool he is very obviously like a huge dork
0: yeah the, the the most pained one is the notre dame pun he makes where where he's fighting the hunchback and i i forget what it actually is but it's it's a brutal brutal piece of wordplay and because he's a, a young white man in in his early 20s or late teens in the early aughts he also quotes pulp fiction at one point where he says bring out the imp <laughs> and, and um it's like yeah fuck you cooper but he endearingly <laughs> sucks I, I would say like i don't actually hate him i i i'm more like you know this this guy this guy right here oh god uh i i do appreciate that he is in over his head like he has a little cocky moments he he has like moments of victory of like can't believe i did that ha ah, i'm amazing but he's also scared of ringing phones which <laughs> uh makes sense if you're in a haunted mansion with monsters just hiding in every cabinet, behind every window, you know, full of ghosts, and and things are going to drop down at you and give you a heart attack. Little things that are incidental, like a ringing phone, will also startle you, because you're just on edge expecting the next jump scare. So I do like that that's an aspect of the game, where if a phone rings and you're nearby it can like briefly paralyze you and make you unable to do any combat moves like you you're just kind of trembling for a few seconds i like that aspect of the game um but the thing about cooper is that he's actually voiced by steve malpass who if you're not aware also voiced fox mccloud in star fox adventures so once you make that connection, you can't help but hear Fox as the one doing all of Cooper's little sounds. Like, whoa, yeah. Like, And then you're like, oh, wait, mm-hmm. that sounds just like Fox McCloud and Star Fox Adventures. Oh, damn. I, I can't separate the two. It's like when you hear Chris Siever doing a voice that's not Conker, and then you can only hear Conker. Like like Chris yeah. Siever doing Slippy in, in Star Fox Adventures and Super Smash Brothers Melee. So yeah, it's just like what, what, what once once you hear them like in your head, you can't unlink them.
1: It's the same for Grant Kirkhope, who does um some of the ghoulie voices, like the cursed mummies just sounds exactly like Mumbo doing his spells. Right, so
0: right, right, yeah. You hear a
1: lot of Grant in this game.
0: Yeah. The only other question I have I- about Cooper, and I know you have this mm-hmm. question too, because you specifically requested we bring it up. Yep. There, There's this weird. Now, to, to even talk about Grab by the Gluey's Fanon outside of the context of DK Vine and, and our um, expanded community of creators and fans and fan sites. Yeah, they, they, you wouldn't think there would be any grab-by-the-ghoulies and out there because we're the only ones who really care about the game. And yet, <laughs> somehow, there is this weird notion that Cooper has a surname. And nobody knows where it came from. Nobody knows why it was quickly embraced. And we're all just kind of befuddled by it. So, yeah, if if you engage at all with with... Grab by the Ghoulies online. You might stumble across this. I know in the um in like the Smash roster builder at one point, they had all of the rare characters loaded in and they had Grab by the Ghoulies characters, and Cooper was in there. And it's like, oh that's cool. And I pulled it up and it said Cooper Chance. Last name Chance, like, take a chance on me. Yeah,
1: I also get, I have seen it before specifically as Cooper B. Chance. Cooper like, he has B. a chance? middle initial as well, yes. But we don't know what the middle name is, but he has an initial.
0: What? Wh- why? <laughs> well, huh? I don't know. <laughs> huh?
1: I, uh, uh... I th- Maybe it stands for Belmont because of my theory that this is secretly a Castlevania game, but we can get to that later. <laughs> okay.
0: Okay. I I don't understand it. I I I don't even think it, it like suits him. It, there, there's no cleverness to it that I'm aware of. <laughs> I I I guess this was like a misunderstanding at one point, and somebody somehow conflated the word chance with Cooper's last name. And it just stuck in their head and they pushed it, and because people aren't that aware of Grab by the Ghoulies, or or like behind the scenes development lore let alone in-game like evidence, people just said, okay, I guess that's his last name. But it's not <laughs> like I, I know he
1: says given this <laughs> given this game, Cooper's last name should probably be Feel. <laughs> Good <laughs> feel. Thank you.
0: <laughs> yeah, like I, I know it's hypocritical of me to say like, how dare you have fan in people? Uh, but I, I'm okay if people have fan theories and and embrace it. But this one just sucks. I don't like it.
1: Yeah, it just, I, I don't know where it came from because I was aware of it. I had seen it online. Um and then like a few years ago I-, I brought it up on the stream and I was like, let's try to get to the bottom of this and so a couple people did research and they saw it first I think the first encounter they found of it was like a fan wiki from quite a long time ago, like maybe ten or fifteen years ago. Um and then like I know friend of DK Vine, um Jim Gibbon, reached out to some people on Twitter, like Greg Males and uh Steve Mails or whatever, just like asked them real quick, like, hey do you know where this fan name came from? And then they never got back to her. So like, it remains a mystery.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And let's just put it to bed right now. It's not real. It's not real. (laughs) So if you see that, just, you know, pretend like you didn't. I I prefer just Cooper. I just prefer Cooper and Amber. We don't need them to have a surname. I, I'm sure someone out there is going to try to push the idea that, oh, it's Cooper Bear. Because, be, because they, they were, <laughs> Cooper was adopted by the brothers Bear or Bear Bear. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no, leave, leave it alone. We don't need to know. It's not important. We're never going to, we're never going to see Cooper's family. So it, it doesn't need. Maybe to
1: come Cooper up. is his last name because Cooper can be a last name. So maybe he's just one of those people who likes going by their last name.
0: Oh, I thought you were suggesting Cooper Cooper is his name, like Mario <laughs> that's Mario. That too. like so Mar- Yeah, that could yeah, be it also. Yeah, yeah. that that's that's e- I'd like that better than Cooper Chance because at least that's funny in a dumb way. His first name is
1: Sly. Thank you, freezer. <laughs>
0: we can't talk about grab by the Ghoulies without talking about the game's reception and reputation. And I don't want to mm-hmm. dwell on this too much, but I, I feel like we have to be a little bit defensive when we talk about Grabby by the Ghoulies because people, e- even though we we've kind of hit this point where more people are understanding of being a fan of it, you still get befuddlement in some circles, when you talk about Grab by the Ghoulies. And, you know, yeah, to be frank, in 2003, it wasn't the game a lot of Rare fans wanted, right out of the gate on a new console. I think a lot of people thought, oh, they've they've struck up this big deal with Xbox. They're now owned by Microsoft. So, obviously, they're going to start big. We're going to get a Banjo-Kazooie, or maybe a Perfect Dark game, or or, or another heavy hitter, although I think those were the two biggest heavy hitters that that Rare could have delivered at the time. But, you know, that doesn't take into account that this was the game Rare had in development at the time of the buyout that would have been the most ready-to-go and adaptable to the transition to the Xbox. So it makes sense from a pure logistics point of view that this would have been the first game, like, unless they were going to completely scrap everything they had in development. And then by that point, we might not have even gotten a game on the Xbox. It might have been just, oh, here's the Xbox 360. Like, I guess maybe Conquer would have been ready no matter what, but... Mm-hmm. I i I think only the most hardcore of Rare fans went into this with it with this unproven game this, this unproven ip we went into this because oh it was a rare game so we're, we're on board just on that notion like that might have flown on the n64 but by this point only the most diehard true believers would have bought a game just based on that golden logo and this was the first game by the way to use the uh, buyout era rare logo the the rare wear logo the, the Golden Shield with the Rareware name underneath it was retired with Banjo-Kazooie Grunty's Revenge. That was the last game to utilize it. This was the first game to use that new Rare logo that they used up until Kinect Sports. Which, you know, I, as much as I love the Rareware logo, I still like this one just fine. I, I didn't have a problem with this. I it's It's not my second favorite. My second favorite would be the current Rare logo, I think. Maybe that's my favorite. I don't know. I I love the current rare logo because it blends both uh, the rare rare logo and the buyout era logo into this nice cohesive singular unit. But th- this one's probably my third favorite. I don't have a problem with it. It it just um, it just lacking a little bit of color. I would say.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I understand why they re- did the little bit of rebranding. Hey, this is a a, a new chapter in rare. So we're we're going to change up the way we look. I think the Rareware logo would have had more credibility with people when you're trying to make the case that, hey, this is the same studio you loved on Nintendo, and now we're making Xbox games. It it was from the creators of Donkey Kong Country and Banjo-Kazooie, not just because it was a Rare game, but it was that creative team, by and large, responsible for this.
1: By the way, I just want to point something out since we're talking about box art. Yeah. Um, if you've never seen it, you should look up the Japanese box art from the game because the logo is really cute.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, do it that just right. says
1: ghoulies in Japanese. Like it says uh, like the, the katakana for ghoulies and then it has grabbed by the ghoulies in English underneath it. But I just love the way the logo looks like they put some googly eyes on like the first character and it's really cute.
0: That is that is true. Because yeah. uh
1: yeah, the eyes are standing in for like the little symbols that that would normally be there that show you how to read the characters. Oh, so nice! It's, like super cute.
0: Yeah, and of course you've in the in the English "Grab by the Ghoulies" logo, you've got the I and the O, like like centered in mm-hmm. the O of Ghoulies, and then you've got the skull as the dot over the eye. So it's nice that they found a way to work both in on the Japanese logo. That's that's clever. Um. But yeah, I I think that's that's just taken into account, though, the Rare fans who were willing or able to make the jump to the Xbox in the first place. Because many Rare fans of the mid to late 90s and early aughts were also Nintendo fans and started out as Nintendo fans. So when Rare and Nintendo ended their partnership, when Nintendo, like, to be clear, Nintendo declined to purchase rare um it wasn't just rare like stabbing nintendo in the backers or, or something it it was just rare wanted to be owned outright nintendo said no so they were free to then look for other buyers and when they ended their partnership it was to a lot of people like a divorce it it was like oh you know the the, the these two entities have gone their separate way. I need to choose one. And if you already bought a GameCube, if you grew up as a Nintendo fan, by and large, people were going to choose Nintendo. They weren't going to follow Rare to this mm-hmm. new system because, for one, the Xbox was viewed largely in those days as the enemy. How dare Microsoft? Microsoft, of all people, this infamous software studio like the that's like monopolizing PC software in the nineties got you know challenged by the government for their practices just reviled how dare they try it's to kind of funny how it's
1: still happening in? yeah
0: how dare they <laughs> <I> mean... <laughs> muscle in on the console market that is the domain of Nintendo had been the domain of Sega people had grandfathered Sony and at that point and and so there there was just a lot of suspicion, and now Xbox owned Rare, and and so how dare Rare go off with the enemy like that when they were with beloved Nintendo before this? So, all that being said, you know not everybody can just afford a second console in a generation, especially so soon after buying the GameCube, and so like I I I get that. So. A lot of Rare's built-in audience didn't make the jump over to Xbox. And then there was the Xbox audience itself, which was still only a couple of years into the console brand's existence. So really, all you really had was Halo as as the big marquee IP. And so a cartoony haunted house beat-em-up game that looks like it's for children even though it's you know one of the filthiest games rares ever made conquer notwithstanding it would be a major turnoff to that crowd which generally veered older older college aged frat guys is is the kind of um cliche of the xbox crowd at the time maybe that's being a little unfair mm-hmm. but i think by and large it held true i think it held true for well into like the 2010s i i think it was the xbox one that really started to diversify i mean xbox 360 tried they they they, tr- they did try on the xbox 360 and you had mild successes like viva pinata but I think it was the Xbox One that was able to finally broaden the Xbox market share a little bit. So you had room mm-hmm. for more quirky games, uh, more games that weren't just the, the dreary. I say dreary as an aesthetic choice, not just I feel like this game is dreary, but just the, you, you know, the type of games I'm talking about. Just the, the AAA. Yeah. Um, they all look the same. Or, or they're all visually of the same piece, not slagging their their, their graphics or, or their inherent quality, just they all look like they're cut from the same cloth to appeal to this crowd. A game like Ghoulies would not really have room to shine or, or thrive in that limited market share at the time. So I, I think Grab of the Ghoulies had it been released today, or a few years ago, like, for the first time, maybe it would have had a chance. Maybe it would have had a chance on the current-day Xbox. But in 2003, it really had no chance. So, unless you were a freak like us, unless you got an (laughs) Xbox for Rare and the promise of Rare alone, and, oh, I I gotta follow Rare, grab by the Ghoulies was not gonna ensnare people. It, 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 you know, yeah. had one or two people I'm sure who played it who hadn't been a fan of Rare before that, and they maybe they really dug it. Like, of course, you can't speak for everyone's experiences, but I think this is the universal sort of impression that Grab by the Ghoulies floundered because there was just nobody on the Xbox who was willing to give it a shot.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, you were talking about Nintendo fans not choosing or not being able to follow Rare to the Xbox. It's like I was talking about earlier, I was just young enough that I really just didn't have the means to make that choice for myself. And I always liken it to you said it was like a divorce. To me, I always think of it as being like my best friend moving away, like moving out of state. It's like, I love you so much Rare, but I just can't, I won't be able to really talk to you anymore. I can still write you letters, but you know, that's like looking looking at what people were saying about your games online or whatever, but I'm just not gonna be able to play any of your games for a while. And it was it was sad. And I know I would have loved this game as a kid, but I just didn't get to play it until I was an adult out of college. So Yeah,
0: and part of me part of me wishes like maybe the buyout could have been delayed by a year and we could have gotten Star Fox Adventures and grabbed by the Ghoulies on the GameCube because at the very least maybe it would have had a better shot. But then, of course, people would have made the comparison with Luigi's Mansion. And, you know, this is mm-hmm. completely different from Luigi's Mansion, by the way. Like, let's be clear, this game does not really yeah. play like Luigi's Mansion at all. The only similarity is your traipse in about a haunted house, and the whole game takes place on the grounds of the this estate. But you know, Rare had that reputation. During their partnership with Nintendo, is they just do games that Nintendo's done, but they put their own spin on it, and eventually that became like, oh, I love that. To people being uh, like very dismissive and derisive of, of Rare's methods, oh, they just make, they just rip off Nintendo. They don't have any original ideas of their own because that that kind of. Um, uh, War of the factions between the, like, oh, are you a Nintendo fan? Or are you a Rare fan? That really did start before the buyout a little bit. Like, things were starting to chafe a little bit online at the very least. Because, yeah, like, at that point, I had made the switch in my head. I, like, I was like, well, I was a Nintendo kid. But you know what? I identify more as a Rare fan, first and foremost, than I do as a Nintendo fans. So you 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 had these kind of online wars of, you know, people like lauding Miyamoto's game design versus and we didn't even really know Greg like view Greg Males as the auteur behind some of these games um at at the time just just because Rare was very like under the radar about giving creators the credit uh, like, the, the, their, their names were in the credits, but you maybe knew them as G-Mails or you didn't really put together that, oh, Greg Mails is the designer for this game and this game and this game. This is his style. It was all just marketed and blanketed under rare, you know. So, but you, <laughs> you, you had these battles online and. I do think, though, had it come out on the GameCube. Even though you would have gotten those obvious comparisons with Luigi's Mansion. Oh, Rare just doing what Nintendo's doing. This isn't as good as Luigi's Mansion because XYZ, it still would have had more of an audience. It still would have be it still would be more fondly remembered today than it had been just cast out on this wholly unfamiliar system without the audience who would be willing to give it a shot. Right. But I love it. I, I I love Grab by the Ghoulies. Like you said, you you already said it, it's my fourth favorite game of all time. And people people snicker at me for that. People people roll their eyes when I say that. They're like, "All right, tone it down, Hyle. You're saying this because this is your identity, but you don't really feel this." It's like, no, I do. I really adore Grab by the Ghoulies. It's not like this robust, like game where you can derive 80 hours of unique gameplay from, but it, it is surprisingly diverse in the gameplay. It it, it feels like an... Ev- for me, it feels like an evolution of the old beat-em-up brawlers on the 8-bit and 16-bit consoles, sort of like bat- what Battletoads might be had it been reinvented for this era. But it's also married to the premise of an escape room game. I, I many escape rooms because each room you have to find the method of escape. It, it tells you how to escape, but you have to meet those objectives. And it's of course set in this haunted house in this all-star monster mash of all the, the famous monsters from Hollywood literature, mythology, minus a werewolf or two. Um, but you know, I, when I, when I was a kid, and and to this day, I never liked horror movies, right? I, I don't like purposely scaring myself, but I love Halloween. I love the concept You and of, me
1: are the exact same. Yeah. I am like a super high anxiety person, so same. I don't want to make myself more scared and stressed out than I already am. But I love the like whimsical concept of like Halloween monsters and stuff.
0: I, I suffer from bipolar too. So I'm constantly battling um, my, my demons and not fun Halloween demons like my inner demons. I, I'm high anxiety as a result as well. I have chronic anxiety, social anxiety. Um, the slightest thing going wrong can set me off on a downward spiral for days. I'm aware of this. You know, it's it's, it's something I live with. It's something I deal with. But because of that, I have to balance myself out with positive reinforcement and uplifting things, things that make me laugh, things that make me feel good. Uh, It's partially why I love nature so much, why I just like go off into nature with, with all the, the woodland critters, all the squirrels and their nuts and, and and chipmunks. (laughs) And, you know, I, I, I love just placid environments and, just the tranquility of the natural world. And that being said, I, I I like monsters and growing up. I love the universal studios pantheon of monsters because I know those movies were shocking for their day. Like you're going to go see this movie and you're going to die of fright in the theater. Uh, they're, they're very tame by even the standards of when I was growing up, because you know i i i was a little kid like coming out of like the the 80s slasher genre and so like you would always have these older kids who tried to expose you to friday the 13th or nightmare on elm street and and all this like gratuitous movie gore and and it's just like no i why would i want to see that and and of course i i look at some of that stuff now and i view it as silly and you know innocuous but you know, when when you're a kid, it's deadly serious. So just give me a fun Frankenstein's monster who, uh, he, he's green and, uh, he's got bolts in his neck. And Dracula didn't scare me because Dracula lived in Eastern Europe. And, uh, I know he, moves, yeah. <laughs> I know he moves to London in, in the novel and the movies and, and whatever. But like the, the general conceit, the concept of Dracula in the popular imagination is he's in this decrepit, romanian castle and he's just this this fancy count and yeah he drinks blood but he's not going to come after me he's, he's not going to come after. he's not going to fly to the united states and, and target me i don't have to worry about dracula so <laughs> i loved halloween i loved monsters and to have a game that celebrates it in the way that was palatable to me as a kid like yeah there, there's some creepy moments in ghoulies there, there's moments that are designed to make you jump jump scares but it's it's all done in a fun way like i love going to haunted houses like not real purportedly haunted houses but i love going to haunted house attractions um because i love the artistry behind it i love like it's it's one of my dreams to one day like operate a haunted house (laughs) at halloween time because i i love the level of craftsmanship of world building of thought put behind it, and just like, how do you make this haunted house make sense, right? Like, how how, why would all these monsters be in this haunted house? That was, like, when I was a kid, I, I would turn my parents' house into a haunted house at Halloween time. Like, that was what I did for Halloween, and I would put so much thought into it. It's like, well, there wouldn't be an Egyptian mummy reanimated in this haunted house, so we can't have mummies in it. Um unless there was a really good reason to have mummies in it, but I could never find a reason when I was a kid. So I would just, n- no mummies were allowed, you know? So I would have a mm-hmm. lot of careful thought behind it. Oh, a mad scientist set up shop because the authorities are after him. So he's hiding in his haunted house and conducting all these experiments in here. And what I love about Grab by the Ghoulies is it does that in a video game. There is a logic to all of this. To why this house is full of monsters, why it's full of ghosts, it's got that like like we were talking about with the super soups. It's got that weird Malesian logic that just barely holds together. But the fact that they make the effort is so appreciated by my weird, like obsessive brain. And yeah, just like I've I've told in the past, like I didn't like pirates as a kid. Until Rare did Pirates with Donkey Kong Country 2 and showed me the appeal of Pirates. And then it just clicked in my head. I was like, oh, I get Pirates now. Cool.
1: Yeah, I was like five when I first played DKC 2, so I never stood a chance. (laughs) I'm like, Pirates,
0: Pirates my whole life. It's like Peter Pan. I couldn't get into Peter Pan. I was like, they're just frilly, dirty (laughs) men. Freezer says, I
1: "I didn't like underwear until Mr. Pants.
0: Yeah, I used to just go
1: commando until Mr. Pants showed me the way.
0: So for me, like I had already like like been preconditioned to like monster, like the Halloween ideal of monsters. But I there weren't many games. Like I I might have rented Castlevania and games like Ghouls and Ghosts and stuff like that back in the day. But there weren't many games for me. Like I was never going to sit down and play Resident Evil, right? So to have a game that presented this kind of stuff in the context that I appreciate, that I enjoy, and to be made by Rare, oh my god. And it's really fun. The The attention to detail, yeah. the personality, and the ability to smash just about everything. It's so tactile, it's so satisfying, it's so crunchy. And each room in the game feels like its own experience. I love grab by the Ghoulies.
1: Yeah, so as I've gotten older, I've... So I've always loved Halloween my whole life. You know, when I was a kid, I loved picking out my costume for the given year and whatever. Um, I liked, you know, being a different thing each year. But uh, as I've gotten older, I feel like I've become even more and more of a Halloween person. It's just like a fun holiday. And you can really celebrate it all October long by just sort of indulging in as we've been talking about this kind of, like, whimsical... Like, depending on your taste, you can go further into, like, the actual horror genre, or you can just enjoy, like, the whimsical, like, Gruntilda-style witches or the just funny Dracula vampires, like, you know, the, the Count from Sesame Street or whatever. So, oh, um, oh can, can, it's, it's just, can I... just... There's such
0: a wide range. Can I just say uh-huh? really quick, Uh, the, I think the Count from Sesame Street is the reason why I liked monsters as a kid, because that was my introduction to vampires. (laughs) And, and so to me, like that being my gateway, it put the idea in my head that vampires are fun. Vampires are just, that's so cute. Funny, funny men who, who live at the end of Sesame Mm -hmm. street and they, they, they like numbers. And and that's actually, that's actually true to the true mythology of vampires. They're obsessive counters. Like that's not made up for like, that's not made up for sesame street that is actually an aspect a forgotten aspect of vampire lore so vampires
1: have ocd yeah (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. i have ocd i love it Uh, like the mythology that like if you throw rice at a vampire they have to like stop and count every single grain of rice that's something that i would have to do that's not for real
0: yeah that's why i'm not scared of vampires because i always have a satchel full of nuts on me at any time that wasn't an innuendo. I, any- I like I like nuts. <laughs> I like I'm like a squ- reincarnated squirrel. Okay. I, all right.
1: Hiles Fursona is is a squirrel. <laughs> um, but I was gonna say I think that there's like something about Halloween, which th- these monsters and everything. Like I think people like you find people celebrating it on the internet so much, specifically because I think you know people who are a bit maybe nerdy or socially anxious or have to deal with whatever like mental issues a little bit neurodivergence or whatever um I think we we have this like relation with with monsters and we can relate to creatures that are seen as being maybe like sort of human but not entirely and I think that's why Halloween appeals to so many people Uh, we all have like our favorite type of monster that we can feel like we relate to and that's why it's like Halloween is such a fun celebration of all this, like, diversity of mythological creatures and stuff. Yeah. And it, it's just a really great time.
0: And I, I'm, I'm a nerd who likes mythology and folklore and, like, learning about all the uh, cultures and customs around the world. And so that's also why, like, that's what I get into at, uh, like the winter holidays as well, like Christmas time. And I like learning about all the little, like, Different practices in different regions of the world, and then I try to make my family practice them oh wouldn't it be fun to like uh like make glue vine this year or or wouldn't it be fun to uh you know like celebrate uh like the arrival of Krampus in early December, and they're never like my my parents were always just like this is this is weird like we're just we're just <laughs> We're just doing Santa. That's that's all we're doing. Um so yeah, Halloween is, is like just full of that. And I, I, I like monster mashes, right? I like as you said, when all these monsters and different aspects can come together in in this uh like unified whole. And that's one of the great joys about ghoulies is as you explore this mansion, you get the sense that there is this whole like society that they've created for themselves. And there are some ghoulies who get along, there are some ghoulies who hate each other, and they'll just start fighting, and you can use that to your advantage, and they all just feel so fully fleshed out, even the ones that are losing their flesh, that it uh-huh. it really does feel like they're all just so complete as antagonists, even though they're just there for you to beat up, uh, that uh, you you really get so much personality brimming with every character in this game.
1: Yeah. And to like see them through the funnest thing about this game for me is to like see these classic monsters through a rareware lens, like just their, their sense of character design, Um, just the, the fun and like cartoonishness that they bring to each of these concepts, whether it be like Medusa or zombies or skeletons or whatever it's, just like, I, I just love all of these characters um, and the the ghosts and and like, I I really like the haunted cloaks, which are kind of just basically cloak from D K C two, except more silly. Yeah. Do you know who voices them? Because I really love their voices. They're just like oh, <laughs> <I, laughs> just I, like like fancy and posh.
0: I just love it. I really don't like. Obviously, there there's some voices like Grant Kirkhope and Steve um, Malpass who you can. Make that obvious, oh, that sounds like them. But then there's others like Chris Sutherland who are such vocal chameleons that I, you know, I Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to make a guess there. But who's your favorite ghoulie? Out, Out of the entire pantheon of ghoulies, who is your favorite
1: Um, I don't know if this counts, but it would be the Reaper, because I think he is awesome. I just love the Reaper design from this game. Like, there's a lot of good Reaper designs out there. There's, I mean, the Grim Reaper Death is a character who shows up in all kinds of different spooky materials and games and whatnot. But like, this is such a fun take on him. I love his, I love his like robe, how it has like these like stringy bits that hang down. It's like a cool robe design. I love His big old scythe, which is just like huge and has like, uh, there's something that like Rare does often in their um, designs where things are just like a little bit like chipped or a little bit like notched or Mm -hmm. just kind of a little bit like, I don't know how to describe it, but it's, it's something that I've taken into my own art as well, just making something look... Not like pristine, but like it's been used and, and worn a bit, and I, I really appreciate that.
0: It, it's it's um, the Star Wars, the, Reaper... the Star Wars style of world building where everything feels dirty and used, like it's been around. Yeah, yeah.
1: exactly. Um, but I love how he does the air guitar after he reaps somebody, and how you can use him to your advantage, even if he like never really says a word besides just spookily breathing cooper's name i i just love the reaper so much
0: he i i don't know if there's any inspiration from the grim reaper from bill and ted's bogus journey but like playing the air guitar just brings that version to mind a little bit yeah (laughs) it's got so much personality though you're right um so if we're not counting the reaper though who would be your favorite ghoulie? Because I feel like the Reaper would be mine, but I also feel like that's cheating because he's just a singular character. Um, Out of, like, all of the, the drones, out of all of the um legions of ghoulies, who is your favorite?
1: Hmm. It's tough because... I mean, it's, it's tempting to just say the pirates because I already love pirates, and yeah. I love how they, like... I love all their voice lines, how they're like, run you through pieces of eight... And they just have some like actual dialogue that's pretty funny. Um, it, it's actually kind of interesting to fight them, too, because if they they do a move where they like put their sword down and they pull out this treasure chest to throw at you, and when they're doing that, you can actually grab their sword off the ground. If you don't do it then, or kill them or something, they will pick their sword back up, but if you uh, take that opportunity, you can actually grab their sword and use it against them, and I think that's pretty fun, so... I guess I'll just be stereotypical and say the zombie pirates, because I like pirates and I really like the, the music that plays when you're fighting them.
0: Same. Uh, that That's that going to be my choice, too. I, you know, I, I, I like many of the ghoulies, but I think the zombie pirates are so much fun, because they, they feel like, more than any of the ghoulies, they have their own community. They have their own kind of story to tell. And, not to get too deep into the weeds here, but we've even, like, connected some lore and Sea of Thieves back to the zombie pirates as a possible explanation for for where they came from or how Crackpot revived them mm-hmm. in the first place. Because they have a whole, like, story outside of Ghoulhaven Hall. Like, they, they've clearly been around. They weren't just created out of thin air. Like, they are, at the very least, the cadavers of real pirates who have been around. So, yeah, it, it it's interesting. But... I, I like how they. It feels like they have more story to them than some of the other ghoulies. Like there's, there's the whole thing where there's the imp they brought into their ranks named Roger, Roger the cabin boy, which is an innuendo. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> you you kill Roger and they just lose it. They they like you. You have committed this grievous sin because you have actually murdered their little. They're a little buddy, and then yeah, Cooper's the asshole. But yeah, I I, I adore the. I, I I also really like the zombie pirate music. I I think that's yes. that's one of my favorite, aside from the most famous piece of music from the game, and probably the most iconic sequence in the game, the the disco, the the the, the dance uh, hall. As, aside from that, I think Actually, that's my favorite.
1: I wanted to talk about a couple more ghoulies, but then can we talk about the music a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay. So freezer pointed out loving the imps, and I have to agree. The imps are just like the most basic enemies of the game. Um, they do come in variations. There's like the flying ones and the fire ones, but ninja ones and the ninjas, of course. Yeah. But uh, they they're like the goombas of the game. But I do love them. They they kind of look like genjos. They've got like the same pointy face and like little horns, um, but. They they do remind me of, like, Jinjos or Minjos, and they're just small and cute, and I just love their design. Um, another one I really like is the Vampire Chicken, because it is pretty much just, like, a chubby Kazooie. Like, it just sounds exactly like her mm-hmm. and, and looks like her a little bit, and they're just... I find them really fun. I like all
0: the ghoulies. But I, the music... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to say, the the only one I... It's not that I don't like this ghoulie i just don't like encountering this ghoulie is what jekyll and oh what what's the, what's the name that
1: jesse and clyde jesse and clyde called. that's
0: it yeah so it, it's almost like a reference to dr jekyll and mr hyde and bonnie and clyde yeah so it's um yeah they're they're the two-headed like body monster amalgamation and uh it's a fun character, but it's just you encounter one and you're like, oh, boy, here we go, because they're super tough to beat. So
1: Yeah, and, and they, like, will pick you up and throw you, like, halfway across the right. room, and it's very annoying right. to deal with.
0: Okay, the music. but
1: yeah. yeah, so the music in this game is really impressive, I think, because it is essentially, like, first of all, Grant is just, like, super good at making, like, spooky-themed music, and we all know that, you know, like, he did it with Mad Monster Mansion, he continues to do it up to this day with the games he's worked on more recently, he's still doing a stellar job at making, like, a, a, like, sort of whimsical but also ominous sound whenever it's called for, um, but he basically works off of, like, a few singular motifs or themes throughout this whole soundtrack, but manages to keep it feeling... Like fresh, and it, it never gets boring, and the the theme of the music is just like pitch perfect throughout the entire game, and I think it's just really impressive.
0: I've told it to his face that I think Grab by the Ghoulies might be his most impressive work, not necessarily like his best or or his most like shiny moment, but I think just from a sheer. Ability as a composer, the fact that he was able to create a soundtrack so diverse on a subject matter so one note—it it, it's worthy of applause, right? That that there there are so many variances of and and musical very like just fluctuations throughout the game where you're never feeling like oh god this is just more of the same it it all feels fresh and and yeah you you've got like the ability to like oh here come the ninja m so we're gonna have something more in tune with them here come the zombie pirates so we're gonna have something that's more of a, a sea shanty kind of vibe to it but it it never feels also like Mm -hmm. it's apart from the haunted house music either so it's just a a deft juggling act that he was able to pull off and i i still like i'm not musically inclined right like i can't compose music but i can't imagine getting this assignment and then and then be like how how the hell do i make this work
1: yeah and like you said, I, I love the different instrumentation that comes in depending on. Like, I like the mummy music a lot. It's, it brings in sort of that like ancient Egyptian flavor to it.
0: But yeah. It,
1: like in the in the moments where you're battling, the music is like more active, and when you're just kind of like sneaking through empty hallways, it's it's more bare bones when it needs to be, and it just always feels like perfectly natural for the moment.
0: Yeah, like I I'm terrible discussing music. Because, like I said, I'm not a composer. I don't have any ingrained knowledge when it comes to composition or music theory. I just know what I like. And and so I, I have to be very, like, stupid with, with my analysis. But I'm like, music good. <laughs> I like music. Yeah, and s- same foolies. here, honestly. Yeah. So sor- sorry, Grant. I know you're not listening. But, <laughs> you know, I'm sorry we can't be more eloquent than that. But uh, great job. Fantastic job. And you'll you'll be happy to know, so rare in was it twenty twenty, they released the thirty-fifth anniversary, like digital compilation of of music from all the games that they were legally able to release music from. And so this this covered the basis from their ultimate days up through Sea of Thieves. And there's there's a lot of like obscure titles on there. Well, obscure to the general populace, not so obscure to us, but like there there's a song from Grunny's Revenge on there and and uh but they they included the the ballroom from Grabbed by the Ghoulies in there and that is on my Halloween playlist. I that that and bats from Conquer's Bad Fur Day are the two rare entries on that playlist. But I I absolutely love it. So come comes up every year. Yeah,
1: the ballroom music it's so good, it it really is. I love the like violin part that's in it. Mm. It's, just, it's just like so perfect.
0: Yeah, Grab by the Ghoulies has a surprising amount of lore debates behind it. Surprising for a game where the plot is um, s- s- sort of uh, creepy, cre- creepy rich aristocrat kidnaps children in his Haunted Mansion. It has a surprising amount of lore debates and also details that aren't immediately apparent to those playing the game. This is stuff that's been revealed by developers, by people who worked on the game or worked at Rare at the time, and also stuff that just comes up through the greater context. And I've compiled a list of, of some that I want to bring up. Some of these apply to the greater DKU. Some of these are just localized to Grab by the Ghoulies itself. But th- this is the kind of stuff that I love talking about more than anything else. And it's <laughs> part of why Grabby by the Ghoulies is so rich to me because you you can add these extra layers to it and suddenly look at the game in a new light. So we're we're gonna be getting into spoilers by the way from this point on. So if you haven't played Grab by the Ghoulies yet and you want to go in unsoiled, maybe may turn off the episode now. I'll, I'll I'll give you a chance to uh to, to hit the stop button. I I assume you're hitting it. Bye. Rip out those earbuds. Stomp on those AirPods. All right. Crivens is. Actually, Baron Von Ghoul in disguise. Gasp! Okay. okay, we we got that out of the way. That
1: was a spoiler!
0: No, I, I, I told people to stop <laughs> listening. It, I'm good. It's not like the time I spoiled the end of No Time to Die. Alright, so... There, there is a secret backstory to the game that's not spelled out so much in the game itself. There, there maybe are suggestions, there are clues, but this adds so much weight to what's happening. So, and I think it actually t- adds a touch of gothic horror to it. This feels like something from a Hammer movie from the 60s. Baron Von Goul had a wife, and, and her name was Gwyneth. Gwyneth Von Gould. Now, Gwyneth Von Gould passed away, at some unspecified point in time, long before the events of Grab by the Ghoulies, leading to the Baron losing touch, becoming unmoored with reality, uh, perhaps regressing a little bit uh, to, to childhood, but also becoming obsessed with the notion of death, specifically what lies beyond death. So he became, he, he became focused on the spirit world, and the supernatural in general, everything that, that entails, being a rich aristocrat, aristocrat in the British aristocrat, uh, being a rich <laughs> aristocrat in the English countryside, he's able to bankroll the research of Doctor Crackpot. Brings Doctor Crackpot to come live with him in Goulhaven Hall, and Doctor Crackpot, I guess, is a pioneer in in. Uh, Monsterology. I, I don't know. But Dr. Crackpot is able to begin to bridge the divide a little bit between the worlds of the living and the dead. And in turn, is able to create the ghoulies in an I guess an attempt to understand mortality, maybe maybe how to become immortal, but also possibly giving the Baron a chance to contact his wife. And we don't know if the Baron has ever actually made contact with his wife, but we know this has worked because the green-haired ghost who sometimes pops up, I think the most iconic of the ghosts to appear in the background of the events of Grabbed by the Ghoulies, because sometimes ghosts will pop up and they'll give Cooper uh, a scare, one of these, like, Paralysis shocks where like the ringing phones right like if if Cooper <laughs> is in too close proximity to one of these ghosts when they appear, they will scream, and Cooper can become momentarily inebriated by fright and this green-haired ghost who she she's one of the most iconic ones because her portrait has also been signaled out like she's got she's got portraits throughout Ghoulhaven Hall of her her name was. Gwyneth, and it's Gwyneth von Gould. That is actually the Baron's deceased wife, who you can encounter in ghost form in Grab by the Ghoulies. And I love that that's a thing. I love that that's part of the canon, part of the lore of the game, even though they never say it. <laughs> it's it, it's the level of world-building that I, I adore... From rare and like she, she she was one of the more striking um, aspects of the game and and people wrote in Scribes at the times like who is this and Lee Loveday they responded just with Gwyneth her name is Gwyneth I think she's named after Gwyneth Paltrow actually like that's not a joke like the, I, I she's just named after Gwyneth Paltrow but um I I like nowadays you would name her that because ectoplasm goop but. Back back then, I I don't know. But she, um, yeah, she's Gwyneth von Gould. And that's the whole backstory to why Baron von Gould is funding the research of Dr. Crackpot. Why there are ghoulies. Why the mansion is haunted in and of itself. It's because they've bridged the divide between the living and the dead. Which, you know, when I was talking about making a haunted house and, like having logic and and trying to communicate that logic through set pieces and that's what they did. They did that. They they made my haunted house for me. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Rare. All right. So that that's that's the big lore backdrop. Here is something people might not realize when they're playing the game. Cooper and Amber are not British. They're not from the UK. They are actually American tourist backpacking through the countryside. And that's why Cooper early on refers to the sport as soccer and not football. Because that, that was a big anachronism that I thought, I was like, wait a second, he calls it soccer, but aren't Cooper and Amber British? And it was explained to me, uh, I believe by Chris Alcock, who was part of the QA team on this game, that no, actually... Why why would Cooper and Amber be backpacking through the English countryside if they were English, they're actually American tourists. And suddenly that made so much sense to me. Like, oh, okay, I can see that. And and so it was an you know, early on it is like the, the partnership between Nintendo and Rare, I feel like Rare Up to a certain extent would try to Americanize their games and their characters as much as possible. With Donkey Kong, yes. Uh, Maybe they eased up a little bit with Banjo-Kazooie and they just totally stopped doing it with Conquer. But I feel like this was kind of them having their cake and eating it too. Okay, well, the protagonist, the two protagonists are American, but all the other characters are from the UK. And, and that to me is a, is a nice compromise. Nowadays, you know, who cares? Like, I, I don't like I can play a game with no Americans in it and I'm fine. Like, you don't you don't need to make these American monkeys. They can just be monkeys. You don't you don't need to give them a nationality. Yeah. Um, you don't you don't need to code them as a nationality, I should say. So, yeah. Um. But yeah, just just a little uh, little factoid that most people don't know. Uh, maybe it's called Cooper Chance because he took a chance. On...
1: Uh, <laughs> by going to England.
0: On, on this, uh, like, yeah, backpacking expedition in the British Isles.
1: It's interesting how, like, just, I don't know, British this game feels. And, and I think that Cooper and Amber serve as good, like, sort of, uh you know, point of view characters into that. Because I, I don't know if this conversation reached you, but I feel like it was something that was going around... In, in my like rare fandom circles a little while back, but like which is the most like unashamedly British game that rare has made. And maybe it's like Saberman because <laughs> Saberman is Saberman, but um but this game
0: Saberman literally shouts for the Empire as a victory taunt. So, yeah, it's yeah. probably
1: Saberman, yeah. but maybe not the most flattering, but perhaps the most accurate depiction of uh Britain. But anyway. This is a very, like, the the characters that you meet throughout the mansion, they, they have, like, different accents. And I don't know enough about, like, different regions of Britain, but it seems to me that they have, like, different accents. Yeah. Like, uh, like like I feel like Babs has almost more of, like, a, a Cockney accent, and yeah. then Moss will has something different, and Fiddlesworth has something different still. So, like, they're all sort of, like, the different regions, but they do have – because they don't really have voice lines, they just sort of have, like, you know – grunts and stuff but the way it's
0: written out it's similar to banjo kazooie but they dial it back it's not just you you get the initial like note of it like and then that's 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 more like
1: zelda characters yeah they've got like that one little vocal exclamation but uh so, so there's that and then there's also just like the stuff you find around like you've got your stereotypical British Christmas pudding thing, like right. the, the big old ball. Like, I never knew what that was as a kid because, like, they they had it in, like, the Banjo-Tooie Christmas wallpaper and right. I would just, like, see it other places and it would be like, what the... I thought it was a giant meatball or something. I had no <laughs> idea why they would be eating this at Christmas, but...
0: <laughs> yeah, it's... It, and, and it's it just
1: stuff like that, too.
0: It, it's funny. Like, I, I don't know... Like, growing up today, I don't know how international kids are like but i i feel like we were definitely at like at a certain point you're at the tail end of this isolated upbringing if you're online perpetually like eventually you will you will just become acclimated to other customs and yeah the christmas pudding that's one of the biggest things like how did i not know about christmas puddings that seems like such a weird thing to not know about nowadays but but back then yeah like nobody in my family ever served a christmas pudding 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 pudding's like what you get in a little cup it's it's not yeah. <laughs> it's not like a cake like structure so so yeah um going forward about the location of coolhaven hall not a lot of people realize this, but you can actually spot the ocean in one part of Ghoulhaven Hall. When you go up into the lighthouse, when you're retrieving the glowworms that light the lighthouse for Ma Supeswell, you can actually look out the windows and see where Ghoulhaven Hall opens up to the sea. And so we know Ghoulhaven Hall takes place on the coast somewhere. Uh... So, and that's that's a lovely little detail because it also helps facilitate the zombie pirates and, and their whole reason for being. We know originally that they were going to like come crashing into the game on their ship, um, and, and we never get that set piece in the game itself. But presumably, like this is how zombie pirates sail in and out. Is this is their 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 port essentially? Um, this this little expanse here. And on the map, going to the lighthouse, you also see drawn on the map is like this, the tentacle of a sea monster coming out, which suggests to me that there are even more ghoulies in the ocean surrounding Ghoulhaven that we never see because we never take that dive. Mmm. So Baron Von Ghoul has done some extensive travels of his own, some backpacking, if you will. We know from all of the Easter eggs in Grabbed by the Ghoulies that Baron von Goole has made extensive expeditions throughout the rare archipelago, collecting mementos along the way, including Royston the Goldfish, sometime after the events of Banjo-Tooie, which I like to imagine occurred uh with the baron like dumpster diving through the bottle's family trash after the events of Antur Toohey, finding Royston's gnawed upon charred body realizing this fish was one alive and could talk too and 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 took it with him back to Gulaben Hall putting it in the schoolroom as as a treat for all the children he abducts but uh yeah um <laughs> Baron Von Ghoul has been throughout the rare archipelago has befriended at the very least Captain Black Eye and Professor Pester from Viva Piñata, who is not even a, a character at this point in rare shared universe. Of course, uh, this game came out in 2003, but for Captain Black Eye, uh, his portrait hangs in the lighthouse living quarters, and we also have Captain Black Eye's barnacle remover. Um, on the shelves in the boathouse. And and so I I assume that Ghoulhaven Hall is one of Captain Black Eye's port of calls. He stops off, you know, maybe rest for a few days in Ghoulhaven Hall, hangs out with the Baron. For Professor Pester, it was later established in all things the Viva Pinata cartoon, that the two of them are friends, because Baron von Goul's portrait hangs there. And and so eagle eye viewers of the Viva Pinata cartoon might spot the Baron in the background, which uh, that is
1: absolutely wild to me. I had no idea about that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, the Viva Pinata cartoon was code developed by Rare, and it's held to be canon. So it it's uh, it, it's one of the expanded universe pieces that is canon to the games. And yes, Baron Von Ghoul is referenced in this cartoon of all things, which would have been viewed by far more eyeballs than grabbed by the ghoulies itself. But it's just one of these delightful little Easter, round, Easter egg background details that it, it's there for those who know and very few people know. So I also
1: feel like, uh, I mean, he's got a lot of pictures of various like Banjo-Kazooie yeah. characters and it makes me wonder what his relationship to all of them is like, is, is it specifically Dr. Crackpot who is friends with Klungo? Cause there's a few pictures of Klungo throughout. Um, maybe he just admires him or something.
0: I do wonder if Baron von Gul and Gruntilda have ever had any sort of friendship or or relationship. Um, but yeah, it's possible that Dr. Crackpot looked to the work that Klungo did For his own monster army, because we just talked about Grunny's Revenge the other month, because Grunny's Revenge also just celebrated its 20th anniversary. And that game really gets into Klungo developing the monster army in 1978 in Bad Magic Bayou is where he did it with this kind of alchemy, this mix of science and magic to to bring these monsters to life. So it's very possible Dr. Crackpot used the research of Klungo to create the ghoulies um i i like that little bit of um connective tissue there but yeah klungo's portrait isn't an, and it's weird because uh you've got like klungo's beaten
1: yeah i was sock. gonna say it's specifically the way he looks like at the end of banjo Tooie when he's yeah. been beaten up a lot and it's yeah. like that's that's the best picture you could get of him <laughs> <Poor> <laughs> Klungo. Not not his finest hour.
0: And there's a lot of mumbo. A lot of mumbo in there and um other other things. And like I said, there's there's products from the characters. Like Captain Blubber has um a very lewd product in the game. Something about um it it's lubricant. It's it's lubricant, and the tagline is grease up them oars, boys. Which <laughs> Come on, I I mean it makes me laugh because I'm juvenile and pathetic. But um, the
1: the most uh, the most vile one is like Mr. Pants chocolate treats or whatever. Oh. And he's just like holding these little little chocolate things, and it's like, all right, where'd you get those?
0: I I hadn't put really... that I hadn't put that together because I <laughs> view Mr. Pants as such a pure noble figure. Yeah,
1: Maybe yeah, they're just completely innocent chocolate <laughs> treats from the man who goes around in his underwear Mr. you know what's Pants- actually weird is some of the depictions of Mr. Pants in this game he doesn't have a mustache and I don't know what's up with that is he like younger Mr. Pants or something
0: it it, it, it just might be the, the low textures I'm not sure I it's been pointed out to me too and this is that kind of period where Mr. Pants was still just Lee Loveday's crude doodles because while it's Mr. Pants was in development I don't think they used any artwork or, or maybe it hadn't actually made the full transition yet. I, I don't know, but I don't they they definitely didn't use any of the more polished, crude artwork from its Mr. Pants in Grab by the Ghoulies. It was still Lee Loveday's very rudimentary, like scribes-era doodles, the same that we had in Banjo tooie But Yeah, Mr. Pants is an entrepreneur, right? He's he's got is uh, he's a model for underpants. He makes and markets underpants. He's a television presenter, and he's also you know lends his likeness to delicious chocolate treats. We don't need to make any connections there. So the reaper we we talked about the reaper and this is where we're going to get into divisive lore where unsettled lore where even fans and creators butt heads over this and i want to hear your opinion on this because mm-hmm. the dk vine staff like i'm not just i'm not just saying this because this is what i believed this is this is i think the universal opinion of the dk vine staff like we we all ask each other and this is what we all agreed upon because we thought this was the just implication um talking about chris alcock again i'm bringing this up because this is something that chris alcock has argued with us about the reaper is the reaper an actual agent of death because because we know like grim reapers exist within rare shared universe greg from conquer is one of them he's he's more of like the dog catcher of reapers where the the reaper as presented in Ghoulies is is more like just a an upscale Reaper coming after humanoids. Well, I mean, he'll, he'll kill anybody. But, you know, he um, seems to be of, of human proportions Well, Greg is plausibly a monkey um, in a past life, perhaps even a Kong. That's another debate for another day. But is the Reaper an actual Reaper, an actual agent of death? Or is the Reaper merely a facsimile of the Grim Reaper created by Dr. Crackpot? Uh,
1: So, without knowing what the actual DK Vine consensus on this is, because I actually don't know, um, I always thought that he was, like, an actual Grim Reaper who... Just yep. sort of enjoys hanging out and yep. like playing these games yep. along with the Baron because he like will still come after you after Doctor Crackpot and like after the Baron has been defeated in in like the last set of bonus challenges. So I don't. He just seems like he has his own agency and he just is kind of having fun uh, with with Cooper in in this whole setup, so that's so, that's what I would think.
0: So, Chris, if you're listening to this, you are cursing loudly right now, because I agree <laughs> with Courtney. I the, the DK Vine staff agrees with Courtney. I, I feel like this is what a lot of us read from the way the game presented the Reaper. Chris Alcock claims that, no, the, the Reaper would have just been created by Dr. Crackpot. He's not actually the Grim Reaper outside the halls of Ghoulhaven Hall. But... I I I like the idea that a Grim Reaper is attracted to Ghoulhaven Hall because of the heightened amount of not just paranormal activity, but like unearthly unearthly, like define the laws of the natural order. Paranormal activity. Doctor Crackpot is actively like putting his thumb on the 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 actual like ebbs and flows of life and death. And so the Reaper is attracted to, just like Greg wanted to eliminate the zombies in Bad Fur Day because, you know, it, it's, it's a complicated issue and it's, it's bureaucratical, but they, you know, it, it, it's, it's just, the undead is too much. We, we can't have the undead. So, that being said, also in my Haunted House creations as a youth, I would also have the Grim Reaper in there. And my logic was the, the Grim Reaper is attracted to this haunted house because there's more supernatural activity happening here than anywhere else at this time. So that that was just my read on the Reaper and Ghoulies. That's a lot of people's read on... The, I'm not saying that's correct. I'm not saying Chris Alcock is necessarily wrong. But I feel like mm-hmm. this is a debate that we still need to be having because it is clearly not settled if we're all coming away with this impression I don't. I. 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 I prefer. I prefer our interpretation because it just feels more fun to me that you could even bring in actual, like, um, supernatural entities that aren't created by Doctor Crackpot. Like it's. It's become kind of this fulcrum of the supernatural, Ghoul Hall. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And All to right. bring up Castlevania again, because I love Castlevania. Sure. It's kind of like how like death is always working with dracula just because it's like this super spooky castle and it's like hey death death wants to be here death death likes it here he's gonna hang out it's fun it's fun for him
0: uh just andre in a live chat says alcock refers to chris's views on the reaper (laughs) ouch ouch um (laughs) jeff jeff by the way Jeff Onan is also in the live stream chat. He's been being fun- a, f- a man as Jeff is wont to do. Uh, Jeff says, I think Halloween is good, which isn't Jeff's best material, but he wasn't trying to be funny there. I guess he was, he, he, he was being a little funny and just uh, the pithiness of the comment, but hi, Jeff, I didn't want you to think uh, we were ignoring you. Also, hello to most Spankins. Most Spankins says Halloween is such a fun season. So, other debated... We may
1: disagree on the Reaper, but we can all agree on Halloween being we, we, good. That's we, what I'm getting here.
0: We can all agree on Halloween, and we can all agree in our little circle that Grab by the Ghoulies is a lot of fun. So, I'm, I'm glad we can come together and, and squash our beef, even when we disagree.
1: As, as uh, Fiddlesworth would say.
0: Squash my beef, right. So, <laughs> there's other debated continuity beyond just the Reaper, and this is one where the DK Vine staff is not in consensus. Ghoulhaven Hall appears later on in Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts. So in Showdown Town, you can spot Ghoulhaven Hall up on a hillside. However, Grab by the Ghoulies seems to present Ghoulhaven Hall as, as being in the English countryside. Right? Because it it's adjacent to um ghoulsville in the gloom uh originally need in the nuts which is like this this quaint little country village english village um similar to you know twycross and and you know neighboring little villages so maybe not twycross but but villages near twycross so is Ghoulhaven Hall actually located somewhere in the rare archipelago? That The question really is, is Showdown Town a physical location in the rare archipelago somewhere near, near the Isle of Hags, or is Showdown Town more of this nexus hub between video games where the Lord of Games inhabits? That That's the question. Uh, wh- what are your feelings on this subject, Courtney?
1: Yeah, I like to think that Showdown Town doesn't have so much like stable physical location. It can kind of like shift around where it is because it is Log's homeland, essentially. And there are people who live there, but at the same time, like its physical location can kind of change um, just depending on what Log wants at the time or what he feels like. And maybe the the area surrounding it is not entirely like beholden to the to like standard physical rules because he is a, a God and he can manipulate the world as he sees fit. So I don't think seeing Ghoulhaven Hall in the background there necessarily means that it is like, well, we don't know where showdown town is, but if it had a consistent location, I don't think it would be in like England probably, but, or Britain or wherever. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it just kind of is like a little bit, a little bit vague and a little bit cheeky and it's, uh, you know, may, maybe can serve as sort of like a, a war pub, like, uh, you know, you know, like in Nightmare Before Christmas, when when Jack goes into the forest, and he sees all the trees that lead to the different holiday lands, like, it's kind of like that, like, mm. <laughs> you, you can just see all these different places in the background and, and get to any of these video game worlds from there, maybe?
0: Well, yeah, because there, there's also if you look in the distance, what looks to be I think the implication is supposed to be they can't come out and say it is, but it's supposed to be Peach's Castle. Um as one of the things you can mm-hmm. spot from the distance in showdown town so my my understanding was it's kind of like this bleed like realm this this like um fluid membrane sort of like intersection of different game realities and universes or just locations. And so you might be able to see Ghoulhaven Hall in the distance one day, and then maybe another day you blink and it's um, Raccoon City from Resident Evil or something. But Yeah, yeah. I like that. um, Yeah, like I... I, And this is like... we, we've had disagreements on this with DK at DK Vine. Like, I, I that's my pr- impression, what you just said. But other people on the DK Vine staff feel strongly that no, Ghoul Hall isn't a rare archipelago because of Showdown Downtown. I, you know, like, again, we can all come in agreement that we like Grab by the Ghoulies, and that's all that really matters at the end. We We, we can, <laughs> like, that's what makes. Uh, this kind of stuff fun, is to have these constant debates. We don't need to come to a settled answer. Honestly, it's whatever makes you happiest. Whatever belief makes you happiest and enriches the game world the most for you. Uh, run with it. It's all that really matters. Speaking of nuts and bolts, we have we have another bit of controversy than nuts and bolts um, I, I, I guess uh, posited for us. So... Speaking of false identities with, with cribbins, is Fiddlesworth actually the Lord of Games in disguise the entire time? So in Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts, the Lord of Games implies at one point that he's posed as Fiddlesworth because he says, pet my piglet. He, like, um... I forget the actual quote, but it's something like... Maybe Kazooie asks, like, how come we've never seen you around before? And, and the Lord of Games says, like, maybe I have been around and you just didn't recognize me. I can take many forms. And then he says, pet my piglet. Implying that he posed as Fiddlesworth in Grab by the Ghoulies. But then that brings the question, th- did Fiddlesworth ever actually exist? He's such a fun character. Are you saying that there was never a Fiddlesworth that... This whole time that the Baron was pretending to be Cribbins, the Lord of Games was pretending to be Fiddlesworth. So I'll tell you what I think. Um, I think there is a Fiddlesworth. I think he appeared for the bulk of Grab by the Ghoulies. I think the only time that Fiddlesworth was actually the Lord of Games was that part of Grab by the Ghoulies where he leads with Pet My Piglet. And, and the Lord of Games saying that nuts and bolts is suggesting that that was the moment he posed as Fiddlesworth. The real Fiddlesworth wasn't actually there at that time. That's my impression, because for me, Fiddlesworth is too fun a character to lose to this massive retcon. And also, like, does that mean Lil Willy doesn't exist? I, I, I can't go to bed tonight knowing that there was never a Little Willy. <laughs> So that's, that's my sort of bandage on that potential continuity revelation is that no, there's still a Fiddlesworth. He still appeared for the grand bulk of grab by the Ghoulies, like 90%, 95% of Fiddlesworth appearances were actually Fiddlesworth. Just at one point in time, the Lord of Games popped in to monitor the events.
1: Yeah. Uh what what if God was one of us what, and that one yeah. of us was what, Fiddlesworth?
0: What if Log uh, was one of us and, and it's a picture of Fiddlesworth? That's a that would be a t shirt if I could get away with that.
1: <laughs> yeah, make you make that t shirt. You can do it. Um but yeah, I think the pet my piglet, I don't remember when exactly that happens, but I feel like it's pretty late in the game. It might have been during the like escape sequence where you're saving all the kids, uh like his sort of last appearance of actually like showing up. Uh, with with Cooper and giving him the the little squirter, uh, I think that might have been it. But um, at any rate, yeah. I mean, we're not having some very spirited debates here because I pretty much am agreeing with you on everything. But that's yeah. how I feel about it too. I don't think that the like Lord of Games would live for a time as this groundskeeper and have to actually do all the drudgery and you know live that existence just for the small amount of time when he encountered a video game protagonist. I think it makes a lot more sense if he just sort of, you know, like, snapped in there and stole his identity temporarily just to, you know. Maybe maybe Fiddlesworth was not, like, actually there at the time because he was too busy. He was thinking that he was going to get evicted, um, so maybe he was busy, like, packing or something, and then Log had to, like, step in and pretend to be him for a second just because, like, uh, my video game protagonist really needs this water gun right now, so I'm going to make sure he gets it by yeah. pretending to be a character he recognizes.
0: So that also, by the way, makes Grab by the Ghoulies retroactively the first known appearance of the Lord of Games. So, that that's a fun little bit of trivia there. Um, I, I I love the way that even though Grab by the Ghoulies was this failure financially, and, and at the time critically, it, it definitely seeded all these little threads throughout Rares Xbox and Xbox 360 era, uh, it's great. I wish Sea of Thieves would fucking reference Grab by the Ghoulies. Pisses me <laughs> off that it's not a Grab by the Ghoulies ship. Set. <laughs> There's so
1: many skeletons, so and, many and skeletons,
0: like <laughs> and like
1: pirates. Come on,
0: come on. Anyway. Anyway, well that, that's another debate because I'm still like like where's Captain Black Eye? You promised me TT. What the what the hell, rare So speaking of again, the duplicity of false identity, we, we, we well, at least we're in agreement that there was a real Fiddlesworth and we did meet him for most of Grab by the Ghoulies. But the question is now now throughout Grab by the Ghoulies, Crivens the entire time is Bearden von Ghoul. But does that mean mm-hmm. that there was never a real Crivens? Did Cribbins actually ever exist at any point in the world of, of Rare? What, was there at one point a butler named Cribbins at Goulhaven Hall? Or was this always just a ruse by the Baron?
1: Um, so I think that there probably was a real butler at some point, and he just quietly quit, and the Baron replaced him with himself without even any of the other servants even realizing because the Baron just saw like a fun way he could step in there and like fuck with other people basically. Yeah. Um. But I like to think it makes more sense for that to have happened than him to have just invented a Butler
0: persona out of nowhere. Because it's kind of a weak reveal in the game. It's one aspect of the story's plot. I don't mind it, but it also really has no resonance with anything we saw up until that point. It's just more like, oh my god, and, and, like, the only justification is, like, the butler did it, which, come on, it's...
1: Yeah, <sighs> it's kind of like how um, the Baron makes the, like, I am your father joke to Cooper as well, although he just walks it back immediately. I think it was just rare trying to fit as many cheeky cliches as they could in right at the end, just yeah. for goofing around.
0: Yeah, I... I think it makes the most sense that there was a real Cribbins, and that the Baron just eventually assumed his identity. Maybe he died, or 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 whatever, um, because the Baron does have problems letting go. So I I could like we, we that's evidenced by his wife. So. Maybe, maybe he was close to Crivens and Crivens died and he was just like, I can't let Crivens go. So it's like a psycho type situation where he.
1: Maybe, maybe Crivens is like his Alfred, but it's kind of more of a messed up situation.
0: Yeah, a a little bit more messed up for sure. Uh, that would be a wonderful prequel if we, yeah, here we are like pulling out our hair that there's no Banjo Kazooie game. So, and I'm demanding a Crivens prequel. Yeah. Okay. Get right on that, Microsoft, Xbox <laughs> Studios. Oh, I can dream, though, can't I? So, wrapping up our thoughts on Grab by the Ghoulies, just past its 20th anniversary, on this spooky Halloween, the 20th Halloween we've had this game in our lives. You know, As we, as we talked about, Rare was very self-deprecating about Ghoulies' failure throughout, like, the next decade. Um, there, there were some soft and some very harsh jokes about it throughout the Xbox 360, like, through Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts. They they were just poking fun at Grab by the Ghoulies um, and, and the reception it got when it came out. But there were also, you know, loving references as well. Like, they didn't just rag on the game in their games. They're, they're, like, in Nuts and Bolts alone there's that dichotomy of making fun of its failure. I mean, Nuts and Bolts was full of that kind of like, sor- sort of um, gallows humor where like, oh my god, we haven't had a hit. Oh my god, this game's gonna fail. Oh my god, they're gonna shutter the studio. And, uh... You know, part of that is just making fun of like their initial failure. And it's, it's the game's not a failure because it's a brilliant game, but just received as a failure. Their their initial failure on the Xbox and grabbed by the Ghoulies. But then you know, they they made jokes like the the Fiddlesworth, um being log joke and and referencing Gulhaven Hall. And they 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 didn't just trash the game. And as you said, like afterwards, like encountering the creators on social media it's evidence how much they appreciated the work they did on the game and how much it must have hurt them to have it receive such um a cold response when it came out but i i would argue again it's the most rare game out of all the rare games maybe you can make the case for viva piñata and trouble in paradise but from a purely just action-oriented perspective, I I, I would think Grab by the Ghoulies is the rare game where it's their id unleashed, right? Like there there is very little restraint. Every room is full of self-referential gags, shared universe building, cheeky and sometimes shocking over-the-top innuendos. It, it's basically everything that they had been building to up until that point. And yes, it's one of my favorite games of all time. I don't care what people think about that. I don't care how much they scoff at it. I don't care how many people will be like, yeah, but Heil, you don't play many games. Your pool is limited. Yeah, okay, but I know what I like, and I like Grab by the Ghoulies. And uh, it, it's, it's right before Diddy Kong Racing in my top five games. So I don't care what people say, I will champion this game until I too am a ghost. I love it.
1: Well, Heil, I play play a lot of games and I love Grabbed by the Ghoulies. Um, You were right with what you were saying about it being like Rare Unleashed, and it's one of those games where I'm like extremely happy that it exists in exactly the form that it does. I think it's perfect as it is, but I know that because of its you know, it's it's kind of a weird one. And, and if people, you know, maybe higher up in the game studios had their say and, like, knew how it was going to be received, they probably would have. I'm not talking about, like, rare creatives themselves, but maybe, like, anyone higher up than that, like, in charge of financial success or whatever. They might have told them to, like, rework some stuff, make it a little more appealing in this way or that way. But, um, you know, I, for one, am, I think it's perfect just as it is, and I'm glad that we got the game as it is, it's one of those kind of like weird black sheep things that that when you look back on it you're like how was this ever allowed to really come out in the form that it is not on like a quality perspective but just because of how like it, it's not like workshop it's not like focus grouped it's just yeah. it is what it is it's made with pure love and passion and weirdness and just they made what they wanted to make and I think that's really admirable and what makes it so special.
0: And it's rare, too, especially in this day and age, to to have that, like, oh, we made a game, it was exactly how we wanted to make it. Obviously, there, there's all, you know, the creative process, there's always things, you flaws you can see in your own work and be like, oh, I wish we could fix that, I wish we could fix that. But to the people consuming it, to the people enjoying it, to the people loving it, they don't know any of that. They don't care. So... Yeah, it's it's definitely a game that um I I think you you could only get grabbed by the ghoulies when it came out. It it was just the we we talked about everything stacked against it, how how ludicrous it was that like all the odds were put against it and it never really had a chance. But I also don't think any other point in Rare's history could you have gotten a game released like this? I I, I think it, it just kind of sneaked out of Manor Park. And because of everything revolving around it, all the, the studio politics, all of the uh, ownership turnover... We we got it. We 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 got it how they wanted it, and uh, I I am too grateful that we did because I can't imagine my fandom without it at this point. It it it's bloomed so large in what I do here at DK Vine, the DKU. It, it's so outsized, important to me in a way that I don't think people realize, and I wish I could talk about it more. I I wish that it had a bigger audience because I know if I just ran Ghoulies content as much as I wanted, I would lose my audience. I I would shed listeners. I The people would unsubscribe. I would lose followers on social media. So I try to be measured and I try to find opportunities to bring it up. And thankfully it just turned 20 years old. I'm like, we're doing an episode on Grab by the Ghoulies. I don't care. I, I say all that, and I say, like, oh, nobody cares about Grabway the Ghoulies, but that's not quite as true as it used to be. I mean, it, it's still mm-hmm. mostly true, but it's not as true as it used to be, thanks to Rare Replay.
1: Yes. So that is what I wanted to talk about. Rare Replay is why I played this game for the first time, and it is on Game Pass. So Rare Replay is on Game Pass. If you have Game Pass and you've never played this game, you could play it right now. Um, And I think it's actually like a really ideal game to play in the modern era. Because over the past several years, I've noticed like a general trend, uh where people are getting, you know, obviously, not everyone, a lot of people still love really long games, and they love like getting their money's worth or whatever. But there's been like a general burnout on like, open world games and games that take like 60 hours to beat. And people I think are generally looking for a lot of more like bite-sized experience that you can just knock out in a day or two. Um, And games that have like, they're not very long to get through initially, but they have high replay value games that, uh, you know, especially if you can access them for cheap or free. And, And I think that this is where ghoulies can come in and have a lot of appeal to The modern audience, especially people who don't really have a lot of spare time because it doesn't take that long to get through. Um, there's like a really good excuse to play it during the Halloween season, but you know, even a little afterwards or any time of year, really. So I I think that it would have a lot of appeal if, if like, you know, we just got to keep spreading the word about it. And obviously it's not going to appeal to everybody. There's always going to be some people who try it out and they just don't like it at all because they just don't like the gameplay and that's fine. But. For every person who tries it and hates it, there might be a person who tries it and really loves it. So yeah. it is there. It is so available for people right now. And I think that's awesome. It's, it's not like this obscure game where you have to like, you know, order a copy online or pirate it or whatever. It is available in the modern era super easily. And even if you don't have Game Pass, you could just buy Rare Replay because it's an incredible value.
0: I was thinking about Diddy Kong Racing when you said a game that's super hard to play in the modern era. And I'm like, oh, Rabbi by the Ghoulies was more accessible yeah. than Diddy Kong Racing. Yeah. They haven't
1: put that on the Switch thing yet, have they? That's kind of surprising.
0: No, they put Mario Party I don't know 3 they on why. They got there.
1: Banjo-Kazooie on there. So. Yeah.
0: <laughs> anyway. Yeah, they
1: finally put Mario Party 3 after a year. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, talking about its legacy, very briefly, we, we do have to bring up. There is a short list of games or potential games, theoretical games that I actively mourn. I yearn for nearly every day of my life. Obviously, at the top of that list is Donkey Kong racing, right? Um, that, that's a game I will never be over losing. Uh, another game that I think about quite often that I would have loved to have seen actually Uh, reach fruition in development is the Paul Makacheck Donkey Kong project on the Virtual Boy. That was nothing more than a mere demo. um, But I, I really want a Donkey Kong Virtual Boy game and we never got it. And right up there with those two, the proposed grab by the Ghoulie sequel which was referred to as "need in the Nuts. But it's a pun, right? It's the same kind of testicular pun. They probably would have not named it that, but that's what they were referring to it um, in-house. That is something I think about every Halloween season, how much I would have loved that game because it would take place... In the, the quaint English village, which we do see briefly in silhouette at the end of Coolies. They were kind of setting up the sequel at the end of it where Cooper and Amber uh walk the path away from Ghoulhaven Hall and the sun comes up, and we we see um what what's called Ghoulsville in the gloom in the final game. Um in, in the demo, I think they still refer to it as needing the nuts, but um you, you see um, ghoulsville in the gloom in the distance and this would have been um an english village that was overrun by ghoulies which kind of feels like th- to talk of uh, like in in games that came out later and actually saw release going from batman arkham asylum to batman arkham city right you're going from this um this estate grounds to a whole town um Full of ghoulies and I just, I just think about the possibilities there, and how fun, and how, how creative, and how much freedom the team would have had to really flex their muscle. I, I really, really wish we could have gotten that. Hmm. And I, I've heard like,
1: yep. I don't know what I don't know what to add, but no. like, yeah, obviously, a sequel to this game would be incredible.
0: And and like, I I know, I think Jeff, um, talked about what a third ghoulies game could be. And you could take it into like a more like 50 sci-fi B movie kind of, kind of aspect with like alien aliens from outer space ghoulies and, and have it be like retro sci-fi and instead of like the more like horror movie vibe. And I'm like, Oh, that, that would be a really fun third entry. And, Oh, there's just so much they could have done with "Grab by the Ghoulies had, you know, it, it actually had an audience. But thankfully, we do see Cooper one more time in the Donkey Kong universe. This is something not a lot of people realize or think about or have ever actually seen because they've never done this. But in Conquer Live and Reloaded, if you select the third save file which is not one that people would often select, it opens the stall to the bathroom, and we see Cooper hunched over the toilet, vomiting profusely. And that—that that is Cooper's final appearance in a video game in the DKU, rare replay notwithstanding. And, you know, it makes me wonder, because the implication there is Cooper has been Drinking heavily in the cock and plucker. I I like to think this is after he and Amber broke up, you know, um, maybe the trauma that's still lingering from his night at Ghoulhaven has stayed with them and he's self-medicating to the point of ruin. And how many DKU protagonists does that make it that have washed out and fallen into a sordid lifestyle? How many does that make it? it? It's quite a shocking amount. I mean, just looking at Diddy Kong Racing alone. But but yeah, Cooper, uh, Cooper eventually became a drunk in the cock and plucker. But at least we got closure.
1: Yeah. Poor <laughs> Cooper. Poor Cooper Chance.
0: <laughs> See, sometimes you take a chance and it doesn't work out. Andre says, well, pluck my cock. This has been a File 2 production.